iOS 12, The Mac Stories Review, written by Federico Vitici, narrated by Mike Hurley. Chapter 1, Introduction. After years of unabated visual and functional changes, iOS 12 is Apple's opportunity to regroup and reassess the foundation before the next big step, with one notable exception. We left last year's iOS 11 update of a palpable tension between two platforms. On one hand, following a year of minor changes to the iPad and a hardware refresh that came in later than some expected, Apple once again devoted plenty of attention to reimagining the tablet's role in the world of modern computing iPad updates in iOS 11, despite having their fair share of critics, largely did not disappoint. On the other hand, the iPhone, by and large still Apple's crown jewel, had to play second fiddle to a platform that was more in need of a strong, coherent message. And so, despite blessing the iPhone with the same features of its larger multi-touch cousin, at least most of them, Apple seemed content ceding the smartphone spotlight to the iPad. There was a healthy array of new functionalities for both, but iOS 11's monumental leap for iPad tagline pretty much told the whole story. iOS 12 available today for the same range of devices that supported iOS 11 feels like a reaction to changes that have occurred around Apple and consumer technology over the past year. While iOS 11 may go down in Apple's software history as the touchstone of the iPad's maturity, it is also being remembered as one of the company's most taxing releases for its users. You don't have to look far into the iOS 11 cycle for headlines lamenting its poor stability on older hardware, plethora of design inconsistencies which were noted time and time again, and general sense of sluggishness. These are issues that may have contributed to a slower adoption rate than 2016's iOS 10. There were debacles in Apple's PR and marketing approach as well. Performance problems with battery and power management were handled poorly during a key time of the year, culminating with a year-long discounted battery replacement program and a somewhat rushed battery-related addition to iOS's settings. Then, of course, there was the much-derided iPhone X ad clearly showing one of the many reported iOS bugs on TV, which had to be fixed with an updated commercial before the actual software was fixed. No matter how you slice it, it had been a rough few months for Apple in the realm of public perception of its software. At the same time, toward the beginning of 2018, technology observers witnessed the rise of Time Well Spent, an organization and perhaps more broadly, a public movement demanding that tech companies prioritize enabling healthier relationships with mobile devices. The principles underlying time well spent, from battling smartphone addiction and notification overload to including superior parental controls in mobile operating systems, may have originated as a natural consequence of breakneck technological progress. As some argue, they may have also been a byproduct of global socio-economic and political events. Time well spent's ideas found fertile soil in Silicon Valley earlier this year. Facebook made key changes to its newsfeed to improve how users spend time on the social network. Apple made a rare commitment to better parental features in a future version of iOS. And Google went all out and turned digital well-being into a suite of system features for Android. It is important to understand the context in which iOS 12 is launching today, for events of the past year may have directly shaped Apple's vision for this update. 
With iOS 12, Apple wants to rectify iOS's performance woes, proving to their customers that iOS updates should never induce digital regret. Perhaps more notably, though, iOS 12 doesn't have a single consumer feature that encapsulates this release, like messages might for iOS 10 or the iPad for iOS 11. Instead, iOS 12 is a constellation of enhancements revolving around the overarching theme of time. Apple in 2018 needs more time for whatever the next big step of iOS may be. They want iOS users to understand how much time they are spending on their devices, and they want to help users spend less time managing certain system features. And funnily enough, saving time is at the core and in the very name of iOS 12's most exciting new feature, shortcuts iOS 12 is an Apple Snow Leopard release. Its system changes and updated apps wouldn't justify a no new features slide. However, for the first time in years, it feels as if the company is happy to let its foot off the gas a little and listen to its users more. Will the plan work? Chapter 2. Setup and Performance iOS 12 supports the same devices that iOS 11 did, starting from the iPhone 5S and 6th generation iPod Touch up to the latest iPhone and iPad models. Unlike last year, there is no architectural transition occurring in iOS 12. However, if you skipped the iOS 11 update last year and you're still running iOS 10, updating to iOS 12 will prevent you from launching legacy 32-bit apps you may have still installed on your device. Following a revamp of the setup process in iOS 11, Apple has taken a year off and foregone major changes to the setup flow in iOS 12, making only one small addition. Frankly, I don't think the company needs to keep changing the first-run setup on an annual basis. As I argued last year, automatic setup mitigated much of the confusion involved with the initial configuration of an iOS device. Besides an updated set of introductory screens explaining various system features, the only new setting in iOS 12's setup process is automatic software updates. As the name suggests, this option ensures that iOS updates are automatically downloaded and installed without requiring the user to navigate to the settings app and manually check for software updates. Automatic software updates presented as keep your device name up to date at setup is the recommended default option as suggested by its large continue button highlighted in blue. I couldn't test this feature during the iOS 12 beta as it wasn't fully functioning yet. According to Apple, iOS devices will send a notification before automatic software updates are installed overnight, presumably giving users the chance to delay installation until later. Automatic software updates can be disabled at any time by navigating to Settings, General, Software Update. Performance improvements were touted as one of the tentpole features of iOS 12. While Apple's top software brass never characterized iOS as a platform in dire need of serious maintenance, leading the WWDC Keynote's iOS segment with doubling down on performance, an asserting Keynote slide was his tell. And sure enough, the details Federighi shared about their work on performance justified such prominent placement in the presentation. iOS 12 can launch apps and bring up the system keyboard up to 40 and 50% faster, respectively. The camera is launched 70% faster, the share sheet comes up twice as quickly, and all apps launch up to twice as fast while the system is under heavy load.
These are impressive numbers, but as an equally remarkable asterisk, these measurements were conducted by Apple on an iPhone 6 Plus, a phone from four years ago that is now seeing conspicuous performance gains in the jump from iOS 11.4 to iOS 12. This also means that such performance improvements are modest on an iPhone 10 or even a 2016 iPhone 7. The reason for using an iPhone 6 Plus as the reference point is obvious. The 6 Plus was the first iPhone to introduce resolution downsampling. This clever compromise took a hit on performance, as the iPhone 6 Plus wasn't able to balance downsampling and dealing with the rest of the OS at the same time. This resulted in aggressive memory management and iOS 8 being more prone to slowdowns on the iPhone 6 Plus than on the iPhone 6. App developers started treating the iPhone 6 Plus as the baseline for acceptable performance when testing their apps, sort of like many do with watchOS apps running on the original Apple Watch hardware today. Now that Apple has chosen to prioritize performance and responsiveness across the board, it's only natural to use the iPhone 6 Plus as the iPhone to optimize for. Apple hasn't shared many details on what exactly has gone into performance enhancements in iOS 12, but we know a little iOS 12 has been re-engineered to ramp up performance instantly and increase CPU cycles more quickly than before. If an app suddenly requires more resources than anticipated, iOS 12 is able to allocate them more quickly by freeing up resource space, memory, CPU, GPU, etc. in places where the user likely doesn't need it at that point. In practice, this means that the camera launches and autofocuses faster because iOS 12 instantly prioritizes it, or that a GPU-intensive memory visualization shouldn't bring other parts of the system to a crawl if you switch between apps. In addition, Apple hinted at UIKit and the CPU being more closely integrated than before, which should result in superior performance when the system is drawing or scrolling cells in table views. Third-party apps should get all of these improvements for free without having to do any special configuration for iOS 12, but Apple strongly recommends using cell and data prefetching, which is an existing API, wherever possible. Leaving all technical considerations aside, in practice, iOS 12 is the fastest and smoothest version of iOS that I've ever used. This summer, I tested iOS 12 on an iPhone 10, a 2017 iPad Pro, a 5th generation iPad, and a 6th generation iPod Touch. While I haven't recorded speed test comparisons down to the millisecond, I can safely say that I've never tested a version of iOS as stable or as performant as iOS 12. In fact, even the first beta of iOS 12 released in June felt more polished and responsive than the public version of iOS 11 at the time. The quality of the software has improved throughout the beta cycle, leaving us today with a final seed that I can recommend to any owner of an iOS device that can be upgraded to version 12. On the 2017 iPhone X and iPad Pro, iOS 12 brought noticeable improvements to animation smoothness and springboard reliability, for example, fewer soft reboots. It also fixed issues I've been encountering since the first version of iOS 11 with core spotlight indexing and split view on the iPad Pro, where one of the two apps would hang upon resuming split view and force the entire space to crash. In addition to the gains Apple mentioned, like faster share sheet and keyboard, quicker app launching, there are dozens of small bug fixes for other system features in iOS 12. More impressive than its performance on recent devices, though, was the effect iOS 12 had on the aging 6th generation iPod Touch. 
While iOS 11.4 didn't run terribly on the iPod's A8 system on a chip, iOS 12 on the iPod Touch feels like the device gained a new gear overnight. Every app launches a bit faster. Navigating through home screen pages is slightly more fluid. Control center pops up more quickly. I wasn't able to compare iOS 11.4 and iOS 12 on an iPhone 6 Plus, but Apple's claims held up in my experience with the iPod Touch, Baseline iPad, iPad Pro, and iPhone 10. But there are also the little things and the nice-to-haves that a stronger foundation affords. Take responding to notifications from the lock screen, for example. Previously, a notification that opened a response field required you to wait for the notification's content to load and the keyboard to come up. Now, everything happens in a fraction of a second and the interaction feels natural, as if the notification and the keyboard are finally tied to each other. Another favorite performance improvement of mine involves the share sheet. In older versions of iOS, sharing certain items of extensions, particularly high-res images from the Photos app, involved an almost two-second wait as the share sheet needed to process the incoming item. In iOS 12, the share sheet comes up almost immediately after tapping the share button. Apple was able to tighten up different parts of the system for this release. Whether it's clearing all notifications at once, revealing control center, or switching between normal and private Safari tabs, iOS 12 is full of tweaked animations that have been subtly refined and sped up. Unlike old animations and transitions, they're not intrusive or overhanded, they're fast, elegant, and contextual to each action. iOS 12's updated animations seem to imply that the old ones weren't the result of Apple artificially slowing down animation curves to make sure we appreciated their visual work. Despite some improvements along the way, the system simply couldn't deliver fluid animations quickly or reliably enough. Unlike its predecessors, iOS 12 is capable of being responsive to user touches and beautifully animated at the same time. Whether Apple's decision to focus on performance and stability in iOS 12 as an answer to negative press and class action lawsuits doesn't matter. The intention isn't what I'm interested in. Ultimately, the product is. And after using iOS 12 on multiple devices for these past three months, it's clear that Apple wasn't exaggerating its performance claims at WWDC. iOS 12 is a pleasure to use and navigate, with fewer graphical glitches than iOS 11, and an overall sense of fine-tuning that had been missing for some time now. For the first time in years, not only will you get new features by updating your device to the new version of iOS, but you'll get a considerably better, faster, and more stable device too. And if iOS 12 ends up being the last supported version for the aging iPhone 5S and 6 Plus, well that wouldn't be a bad send-off at all. Chapter 3. iPad Coming from last year's bevy of iPad features, it is somewhat odd to be dispensing of iPad changes in iOS 12 with a brief chapter up front, but such is the nature of Apple's two-year cycle for iPad software updates. It's obvious now that the company can't keep an annual streak. So let's make something clear first. Aside from a couple of newly imported iPhone apps, there is only one notable iPad update in iOS 12, Gestures. In iOS 12, the iPad adopts the same fluid gestural engine that has driven the iPhone 10 for the past year. A quick upward swipe from the bottom edge of the display exits the foreground app and returns to the home screen. A short swipe and pause gesture reveals the dock, and a slightly longer swipe and pause opens the app switcher. 
As with the iPhone X, these revamped gestures are incredibly smooth and satisfying to perform. When you flick an app upwards, you can see its window shrink back into its icon on the home screen. The same sense of direct manipulation that permeates iPhone X multitasking is now embedded throughout every interaction on the iPad. I'm especially fond of the animation produced by the gesture to enter multitasking. The most recent app from the app switcher quickly swoops in from the side and instantly attaches to the current app you're holding, almost like a magnet, until you swipe far away enough from the switcher that the second app disappears and you can let the first one go back to the home screen. But the best part of the iPad's revised gestures is that you can now accomplish everything, be it closing apps or entering multitasking, with just one finger. This feels great in use and makes each interaction more natural and less disjointed than before. On the older iPad without a virtual home indicator, this isn't explained in the interface, but you can even quickly swipe up and immediately move to the right a semicircle effectively to navigate the app switcher horizontally like an iPhone X. All of these changes, of course, appear to be necessary measures to prepare for an iPad without a home button, where interactions such as swiping up on a home indicator or swiping across it to switch apps would make more sense iOS 12's redesigned iPad gestures seem to foreshadow iPhone X-inspired changes coming to the iPad hardware. From a technical standpoint, their implementation doesn't disappoint. As I noted with the iPhone X before, these gestures redefine what it means to design an interface that is directly manipulated by the user. They perfectly complement last year's drag and drop, and they look fantastic on the iPad Pro thanks to its ProMotion display. If there's a company that can design and engineer fluid interfaces today, that's Apple. I was critical of iOS 12's updated iPad gestures when I first got my hands on the beta in June. I thought Apple was prioritizing consistency with the iPhone X at all costs without treating the iPad as its own entity. There's an argument to be made for following the iPhone's UI paradigm too closely, more on that in a moment, but after three months I believe Apple has made the right call here. Throughout the beta cycle, the company subtly tweaked the button swipe gesture's activation threshold to make it easier to reveal the dock. There is an adjustment period to rewire your brain and learn the differences between going to the home screen and opening the dock, but I think Apple's engineers landed in a place where a quick flick and slower swipe are differentiated enough. After a few days of usage, you'll find that revealing the dock in iOS 12 can still be as easy as in iOS 11, with the added benefit that it is also much easier to go back to the home screen now. iOS 12 strikes a good balance of blending the iPhone X's interface with the iPad's multitasking nature. It took Apple a few beta iterations to get it right, but I believe they succeeded. I wouldn't mind having the same swipe and pause gesture to reveal the dock on the iPhone X too. But I do have some reservations about relocating Control Center to the upper right corner of the screen. Again, a change aimed at bringing more consistency between the iPhone X and iPad lines. As a heavy user of the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I find reaching to that corner of the display more ergonomically tiring than opening the app switcher, particularly if I'm using the device in laptop mode connected to a keyboard. Control Center still can't be invoked with a keyboard shortcut, and overall, I preferred iOS 11's old placement. There's also the issue of tying Control Center to an area of the screen where three separate activation points coexist in proximity to each other. In the span of a handful of pixels, that corner of the iPad's display is where you can swipe to open Control Center, view notifications, or detach an app currently in split view. 
If teaching users the differences between tap and hold and swipe and hold gestures wasn't enough, imagine training them to memorize the intricacies of a virtual corner of the display that doesn't have a notch to act as a physical boundary. It is possible to get used to the new placement of Control Center on iPad. Some may even think the issues I mentioned above aren't a big deal. Unlike the multitasking gestures, however, I don't think Apple did as good a job in adapting an iPhone feature to the iPad's larger canvas. Control Center in iOS 12 for iPad feels grafted on from the iPhone 10 with minimal consideration for the iPad's ergonomics and form factor. More broadly, as I wrote in my review of the iPhone X, I still think Control Center is in the wrong spot, now on two platforms instead of one. At the very least, if Apple can't find an optimal solution that can fit both the iPhone and iPad, perhaps it's time for Control Center's placement to become a user setting. The iPad in iOS 12 is a platform that's settling on a two-year schedule, where hardware and software alternate with a typical TikTok cadence. When it comes to software, there is so much left for the iPad to accomplish. The home screen needs a modernized vision that goes beyond a grid of icons. In-app split view, still exclusive to Safari, should be an API for third-party developers too. Files continues to pale in comparison to the Max Finder, particularly considering Finder's Mojave updates with even more view options and new quick actions. Apps like Things are showing Apple what it means to enable true desktop-class keyboard control that isn't just a handful of shortcuts. I don't believe anyone who says there's nowhere else for the iPad to go. The road ahead is long and paved with unaddressed questions about the future of laptops and what it means to be a pro iPad app iOS 12 doesn't answer any of these questions. For iPad, iOS 12 is a quiet release, just like iOS 10 was. The few changes brought by Apple to the iPad and iOS 12 appeared to be the manifestation of an iPhone 10 fever within the company, a desire to make sure that every iOS device, regardless of its resemblance to the iPhone 10, adopts the smartphone's iconic gesture-driven engine. In the iPad's case, Apple's efforts only get halfway there. The new gestures are technically and visually remarkable, they have a learning curve, but ultimately, they make the iPad easier to use and even more fun. When evaluated in the context of Control Center and a lack of home screen improvements, however, this year's iPad software changes appear only skin deep, seemingly pushed forward for the sake of consistency, rather than unlocking deeper power for average iPad users, let alone the professional kind. Perhaps we'll get used to these features and move on. Perhaps we'll have to process another major structural iPad change next year. Chapter 4. Do not disturb notifications and screen time. Over the past 10 years, the iPhone and App Store have redefined our relationships with apps, which are now woven into our daily lives like never before. It's difficult, if not downright impossible, to think back to a time when we couldn't get instant directions to any place on Earth, be in touch with friends far and near, or receive breaking news alerts for global events. As the company at the forefront of mobile innovation, Apple has directly enabled all of us to be more connected, productive, and entertained by having a tiny internet communicator in our pockets, sometimes perhaps to a fault. I don't need to lecture anyone on how smartphone addiction has become a real phenomenon, with potentially worrisome effects on kids in developmental ages or society in general. While we may wonder how we ever navigated the world or stayed in touch with family without a smartphone, we've reached the point where many of us have begun nostalgically remembering the days when we couldn't constantly divert our attention to the latest stories on Instagram or horrible events being shared on Twitter. 
To paraphrase Dr. Ian Malcolm, we were so preoccupied by the fact that we could center our habits around apps, we didn't stop to think if we should. Smartphones and apps have brought incredible improvements to our lives. At the same time, we're also more distracted and stressed than ever because of them. This new kind of digital addiction has created a set of unexplored problems, and we don't know what the consequences of this smartphone dependency will be on human psychology in the long term. Technology companies believe they can help restore a healthier balance by providing new tools to let us be more mindful of our smartphone and app usage. It's fascinating to observe how tech giants are addressing these concerns. After all, they're the ones trying to sell more powerful phones every year and profiting off engagement metrics and social networks and mobile games. Rather than being an admission of guilt, Apple's message for iOS 12's digital well-being features feel considerate and honest. Some apps demand more time and attention than we may even realize as we're using them. The fear of missing out, cleverly exploited by social networks, is making us more distracted and has become a self-feeding habit we can't easily break out of. With iOS 12, Apple is trying to help us on three fronts by making it easier to limit distractions, focus on what's important, and understand how we spend our time with iOS devices. Do not disturb. Apple's initiative starts with a smarter, more integrated Do Not Disturb. While these changes aren't as dramatic or customizable as I would have hoped, they're a good first step. The main addition to Do Not Disturb in iOS 12 is the ability to enable it for different time periods suggested in Control Center or throughout the OS via Siri. Pressing on the Do Not Disturb icon in Control Center reveals an extended platter with buttons to activate it for one hour, until the evening, or until you leave the current location. If a calendar event is occurring at this time when you open Control Center, the Do Not Disturb platter will also offer you an option to activate it until the event is over. These suggestions open up Do Not Disturb to some interesting new possibilities. The location-based geofence, for instance, means you can enable Do Not Disturb at work and automatically resume notifications when you've left the office. If a meeting is on your calendar, you'll see a button to enable Do Not Disturb until the meeting is over, or perhaps you're at the park walking the dogs and don't want to receive any notifications. Activate Do Not Disturb for one hour and your iPhone won't bother you anymore. No matter which option you choose, you'll always see a new dark notification on the lock screen used in iOS 12 by Shortcuts and Audio Controls 2 that tells you that Do Not Disturb is enabled and lets you turn it off by pressing in on the alert. As I'll explore later in the review, these activation methods, plus other intelligent shortcuts to enable Do Not Disturb, can also be suggested by Siri on the lock screen and in search. Do Not Disturb is a new action in the Shortcuts app too, featuring the same options exposed in Control Center. I should mention one last Do Not Disturb integration, Bedtime. In iOS 12, you can automatically silence calls and notifications during bedtime. This can be enabled in Settings, Do Not Disturb, Scheduled, or in the Bedtime Options screen in the Clock app. While this behavior is mostly comparable to what happens when Do Not Disturb is set on a schedule, the bedtime flavor has a couple of unique differences. When your device is in Do Not Disturb during bedtime mode, waking it will show you a dimmed and empty lock screen of a single Do Not Disturb notification. This approach works well as it helps you spot the time more easily at night, the white clock stands out against the dim background, and prevents the anxiety of being inundated with a barrage of notifications, out of sight, out of mind. 
While in Do Not Disturb during bedtime, notifications are sent to Notification Center, which is now clearly separated from the lock screen. If you want to see your notifications, you can swipe up in the middle of the lock screen to find a special bedtime section Notification Center that only contains notifications that you received during bedtime. Finally, and this is the best part, when you disable Do Not Disturb during bedtime, you will be greeted with a nice full-screen message that says good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on what your sleep schedule is like, and displays the current weather conditions of a brief forecast. The idea is that rather than having the lock screen immediately explode with notifications in the morning, you get to wake up and be greeted by a calm message that eases you into the day before you move on to missed notifications and everything else that awaits you. It's a delightful touch and an example of humane design. If Apple ever attempts to do a smart Siri lock screen for iOS, I'd like them to continue down this path. In the three months I've spent on iOS 12, I've grown to appreciate the ability to silence notifications for a short period of time or, say, when I'm shopping with my girlfriend for a few hours and don't want to be distracted by anything or anyone. Even though they're relatively small additions, I genuinely believe these changes have helped me be more present and focused. The new options in Control Center are more flexible than enabling Do Not Disturb manually or on a fixed schedule. I'm also trying to establish a new morning routine, and the combination of bedtime with Do Not Disturb is helping me avoid notifications at night and wake up to a nice weather forecast. As much as I like the effort Apple put into extending Do Not Disturb, I'm also surprised they didn't go the extra mile and make the feature even more customizable. My complaints are twofold. Do Not Disturb lacks any kind of automatic trigger, and you can't create personalized, fine-grained custom schedules for certain apps or days of the week. You can't have Do Not Disturb be automatically engaged when you arrive at a specific location. You have to manually turn it on once you're there. I'd love to set up a geofence-based rule that enables Do Not Disturb behind the scenes whenever I arrive at the supermarket or at the mall or the dog park. None of this is possible yet. Background Do Not Disturb activation without user input must be something that Apple feels iffy about. There's still no way for Do Not Disturb to automatically turn on when you're watching a movie or working out either. On a similar note, the scheduling feature of Do Not Disturb is still pretty bare bones compared to what Apple has done elsewhere in iOS 12. You can't create custom time ranges for specific days of the week. I'd be more aggressive with Do Not Disturb on weekdays and more lenient over the weekend. And you can't define app-based overrides where Do Not Disturb is always enabled or turned off for certain apps regardless of the main system setting. In the end, while I'd like Do Not Disturb to become smarter and more integrated with apps, its changes in iOS 12 are convenient and helpful. I'm using Do Not Disturb more, which has reduced my notification-induced stress, and nudged me to be more aware of people around me in social situations. As I concluded with Do Not Disturb while driving last year, these features can have a positive impact at scale across millions of different lifestyles that is hard to comprehend. Do Not Disturb, however, is only a piece of Apple's digital well-being strategy and arguably a mere stopgap for a bigger problem. Notifications Underlying most of our grievances about digital distractions and a constant sense of overwhelmedness is one basic truth. Apple's iOS notification system has been a subpar experience for too long. While Google was iterating on Android's already superior notification design and interaction model, Apple was busy redesigning notifications or confusing users with the difference between cover sheet and notification center. 
As a result, not only did iOS notifications grow stale with time, at their very core, they were based on a flawed idea. Notifications as a stream of individual alerts backed by an astounding collection of indecipherable settings. iOS notifications were due for an overhaul. Thankfully, Apple delivered in iOS 12. Grouping. It starts with notification grouping, a feature that was met with raucous cheers at WWDC. By default, iOS 12 groups notifications for the same app together in a stack, both on the lock screen and notification center. The stack shows you the leading notification, usually the most recent alert from the app, as the frontmost one. Tapping this leading notification expands the stack inline, revealing the name of the app and the full list of other grouped alerts as additional notifications. If you want to interact with the leading notification without expanding the group first, you just have to press on it with 3D Touch. Once a group is expanded, you can interact with individual notifications to open them as well as collapse the group with a Show Less button or clear all notifications from the group. I don't mind the dual role served by the normal tap, which is expand groups and open notifications, as it feels like an obvious interaction method. Expanding and collapsing stacks of group notifications yields a pleasing visual effect that I often describe as a lock screen accordion. There's more to grouping than just collecting all notifications from the same app together, though. By default, all notifications from the same app are grouped together using an app's bundle identifier. Developers, however, can also use thread identifiers, which is an existing API, to specify multiple threads for related notifications. In that case, iOS 12 will create multiple groups of notifications for the same app. Thread-based grouping is the automatic behavior in iOS 12, which users can override on an app-by-app basis by visiting an app's own notification settings page inside the settings app. The way Apple has implemented notification grouping is intriguing. Instead of building a complex channel system a la Android or leveraging machine learning to identify related notification content, they're asking developers to do the work themselves and mark up their apps so the system knows whether multiple threads are available or not. Developers who want to adopt thread-based notification grouping will have to think about the types of notifications that their apps send, and if it makes sense to split them up in different threads. In my experience of iOS 12 so far, I've found threads to be a preferable solution to generic app-based grouping. Apple Mail, for instance, can group messages by account, but also by specific thread, VIP threads, and even favorite mailboxes. Similarly, Messages supports grouping by thread, which makes it easy to catch up on conversations that are more important than others. I hope that services such as Slack and Twitter, RSS and Newsreaders, and other messaging apps start using thread-based grouping because it's a superior, more user-friendly experience when dealing with several notifications. In addition to thread identifiers, Apple is also asking developers to support custom summary messages for notification groups in iOS 12. The summary message is a count of how many notifications are contained in a group displayed in the bottom left corner of the leading notification. By default, if developers don't do anything to customize this message, it'll say something like two more notifications because iOS takes care of performing a basic count of items in a group. There is, of course, an API for developers to customize the summary message and make it more descriptive and useful for their apps. The name of the items contained in the group can be modified by apps so that it's not a generic notification. For example, it could say events, photos, or messages depending on the contents of a notification. Groups from Apple's Mail app say two more messages, while those from podcasts use the word episodes, for instance. Furthermore, developers can pass arguments along with the counter to indicate contact names. For example, three messages from Mike, or other bits of information, like five articles from Mac Stories. 
Additionally, in iOS 12, the same notification group can mix and match different types of content and count the total within a single stack. So you can end up with a summary message that says two messages and three photos, or one video and three stories. This system manages grouping and counting, but it's up to developers to deal with thread identifiers and customize summary messages accordingly. This may sound simple enough on paper, but it's quite a bit of work when you consider scenarios such as localization in different languages and pluralization of item names. Still, both for accessibility and general organization of notification groups, it's an important feature to support. Instant tuning. Grouping is just the proverbial tip of the iceberg for the work Apple put into modernizing notifications in iOS 12. The company has also shipped a comprehensive set of inline notification management tools to let users tackle notification overload head-on and fine-tune the alerts they receive from apps. Apple refers to this new system as instant tuning. At a high level, instant tuning consists of features to customize an app's notification settings directly from a notification itself without opening the settings app. Instant tuning is a contextual sheet you can open by swiping on a notification or group and tapping the manage button or by hitting the ellipsis button at the top right of an expanded notification. The sheet contains buttons to deliver notifications quietly, turn them off, or open an app's own notification settings. The Deliver Quietly button is the star of the show here, and for good reason. With the single press of a button, you can make an app's alerts go straight to Notification Center without showing banners, playing sounds, or badging the app icon. Those of you who have been tweaking iOS notification settings for years may scoff at this addition. With enough time and patience, we've always been able to configure app notifications like this from settings, but that's exactly the point. Deliver Quietly is a self-contained action that activates several sub-options at once and wraps everything into an obvious name everyone can understand. It's a user-friendly visual way to deal with a bunch of related preferences that have always been hard to find and explain. This is what graphical user interfaces should always do, remove complexity that only hardcore users can overcome while empowering everyone to accomplish the same task. Deliver Quietly doesn't reinvent notification settings, it reimagines how they're presented and made accessible to users. This single button is one of the best design and usability decisions Apple has made in years. Deliver Quietly reinforces the logical separation between the lock screen and notification center. Notifications are either important enough so you see them as soon as you pick up your phone, or they stay hidden until you go through notification center at your own pace, sort of like a universal inbox. I've been using Deliver Quietly aggressively for a trial system for notifications I'm not sure about yet. Before outright disabling an app's notifications, I'll put them in a quiet delivery mode and see if I regularly seek them out in notification center. If I do, the Deliver Quietly button now labeled deliver prominently lets me push notifications back up to the lock screen if i don't miss them at all i can turn them off in notification center which brings me to the other half of instant tuning from the same modal sheet you can turn off an app's notifications straight away or jump to the full notification settings page for the app if you want to have deeper control over their behavior the turn off button is the nuclear option here and it brings up an extra confirmation step before turning off all notifications for the app I've been using this feature to call my notifications and get rid of spammy apps that were sending me useless alerts far too often. The settings button is interesting. By default, it opens the notification screen inside iOS's settings app. However, developers can deep link this button to notification settings inside their apps to give users deeper control and customizations. 
Tapping settings when instant tuning the podcast app, for instance, will open the notifications view within the podcast app itself, where you can disable new episode notifications for individual shows. The same deep link is also embedded at the bottom of an app's notification screen inside the settings app. Because of these integrations, I think we're going to see more apps get serious about providing in-app notification settings. It's in their best interest to ensure customers can tweak notifications to their needs without disabling them altogether. Provisional authorization and critical alerts. In addition to revamping how users can triage notifications thanks to grouping, Apple is also providing developers with new ways to send notifications that don't conform to the framework's standard rules. The first new API is Provisional Authorization, which allows developers to send trial notifications without receiving the user's consent first. These notifications skip the traditional notification permission prompt and are delivered quietly to Notification Center. These notifications are explicitly marked as a trial by iOS, which includes buttons to choose how future notifications by the app should be delivered. The Keep button embedded in a trial notification lets you decide to continue delivering notifications quietly or switch them to prominently from Notification Center. The Turn Off button can disable all notifications immediately or jump to the aforementioned deep linked notification setting screen inside of the app. Functionally speaking, provisional authorization is a quiet delivery mode enabled by default without the user's intervention. Apps sending trial notifications are simply marked as deliver quietly in the settings app. If the app sends additional notifications after the first one, they'll all be grouped together, but only the first one will retain the specific configuration buttons. The idea behind provisional authorization is that when users are prompted to give an app notification access, they often don't know yet if notifications from the app will be worth their time or not. This API enables apps to give users a taste of what their notifications look like in practice. This way, developers can avoid describing what the notifications do without having anything to show yet during an app's onboarding flow. Users don't have the pressure of allowing or denying notifications for an app that they're not yet familiar with, and they see an actual notification as a trial that won't interrupt them, but will sit quietly in Notification Center instead. The theory is sound, and while I fear that the system will be abused by companies relying on shady incentives to convince users to greenlight the notification trial, the notification is delivered quietly without major disruptions to a user's workflow. I think it can be valuable to see a real notification without having to make a split-second decision when the prompt comes up, especially because too many developers make the common mistake of bombarding users with permission prompts as soon as their apps first run. If provisional authorization works, apps that send useful and informative alerts should see their notification engagement rates go up. Those who abuse the system will be discouraged from showing their spammy notifications as trials. If used judiciously, this could be a more elegant system than the notification permission prompt that we're used to iOS 12 also includes a new type of notification called critical alerts. Designed for apps that deliver urgent and critical information, these special notifications are highly disruptive in that they always play a sound, which can be a custom one at a specified app level, bypass do not disturb, and always ignore the ringer switch. Critical alerts can be local or push notifications, and they play whether the device is unlocked or not. Moreover, critical alerts carry a special red exclamation point next to their title and have their own dedicated section in the settings app. 
Apple is being extremely cautious with deployment of critical alerts, and rightfully so. The company has suggested that only certain kinds of apps should use them, such as medical and health-related apps, home and security tools, or apps that work with public safety programs. Critical alerts aren't open to everybody. Developers who want to use them have to request an entitlement on Apple's website. Even though I hope I never see one of these, the feature is a great idea for urgent alerts that the user absolutely needs to see and act upon immediately. Other notification changes. There are three additional changes to notifications in iOS 12 I want to highlight. The system suggesting turning off notifications with low engagement. If iOS 12 notices that you often ignore notifications from a specific app, it'll suggest you turn them off in Notification Center. This is the same UI used for provisional authorization, and it's a great little touch as the system can proactively help you clean up your notification list or switch certain notifications to quiet delivery. Rich notifications now support user interactions. Besides embedding custom interfaces into their notification content, developers can now embed interactivity as well. The content displayed inside the notification now supports touches, so apps can include buttons or other tappable UI elements inside the notification. Apple used these to enable tapbacks in iMessage notifications. Finally, dynamic actions. Actions included at the bottom of notifications can now be updated dynamically after the user performs an action, resulting in better context. Imagine, for instance, a like action turning into unlike after it's pressed, or move to trash becoming put back when the notification is still shown. Apple's goal with iOS 12 was to make notifications more efficient and let users save time managing them. I think they've largely succeeded and laid a new foundation to build upon in future releases. Grouping makes it possible to scroll and triage notifications much more efficiently than before. Expanding and clearing groups has become second nature for me, and I can't imagine going back to a notification center without app or thread-based groups. Even when iOS did offer a group-by-app notification setting years ago, it wasn't nearly as smart as the current system in iOS 12. And by leveraging instant tuning everywhere for regular notifications, provisional trials, and system suggestions, iOS 12 puts users in control of their notification experience in a way that is respectful of their time and versatile enough to create personalized notification workflows. The new APIs made available to developers are well considered, and I'm intrigued by notifications becoming even richer and more interactive. It took Apple a few years to get to this point, but they nailed the implementation of notification grouping and instant tuning on their first try. Now I just hope we won't have to wait another five years for more updates to notifications. Screen time. The third leg of digital well-being tools in iOS 12 is all about numbers and setting restrictions for yourself or your family. Called Screen Time, this feature encompasses monitoring time spent using apps and websites, setting daily usage limits, and finding ways to spend more time off the screen during the day. Screen Time is not an app. Located in Settings, Screen Time, and disabled by default, it is a dashboard to see how you've allocated your time when using iOS devices signed in to your iCloud account. At the top of the Screen Time page, you'll find a chart that visualizes time spent on iOS, with colored bars for your most used app categories. The default view aggregates data from all of your devices for the current day. In this minimized mode, Screen Time also tells you whether your device usage is below or above average.
The real fun begins once you tap on all devices to navigate to the full dashboard on a separate page. Here you can see more details for individual apps and websites opened in Safari 2 with the ability to switch between today and last seven days at the top. Also, in the upper title bar, there's a Devices button that lets you load charts for individual devices signed into your iCloud account should you prefer avoiding the default All Devices mode. There's a lot of data to digest on this page to the extent that I still can't believe Apple is giving us all these new tools at once in the same iOS release. The main chart uses vertical bars for the top three app categories that represent your device usage. In my case, these are social networking, productivity, and entertainment. You can tap, hold, and swipe on the chart both for daily and weekly stats to show a pop-up with individual hourly or daily breakdowns. The main charts and stats are useful to get a general sense of how long you're using your devices and what for, but there's a lot more waiting for you as you scroll down. First, you'll find the most used section, which displays time spent using individual apps or websites, or if you tap a button, entire app categories. You can tap on individual entries in the most used to see granular stats and averages for an app with another chart, plus information that includes category, age rating, and developer name. This is also where you can set a limit for a single app. Scrolling through the most used section has turned out to be an informative and at the same time concerning exercise for me. On one hand, on a productive day, I enjoy seeing my text editor and the shortcuts app at the top of the list, reminding me that I got quality work done. On the other, seeing news websites, Tweetbot, or Instagram populate the weekly view is a cringeworthy experience that makes me realize I waste too much time on social networks. It's tough to face swaths of personal data dutifully collected by a computer, and I suppose that's the entire point. I'm not sure how many users will actually want to know these numbers. Screen time can also monitor device pickups. From what I was able to gather from Apple, a pickup logged by screen time constitutes a meaningful interaction with an iOS device. Interacting with widgets, responding to a notification, or unlocking your device will increase the pickup count. However, Apple doesn't want to charge users if they just look at the time on the screen lights up due to a raised awake, which I think is the right approach. In practice, I've found the most pickup statistic useful to quickly understand when I tend to check my iPhone the most during an average day. Screen time can keep track of notifications sent by individual apps too. If you're anything like me, these numbers will be heavily skewed towards Slack and messages. Besides hourly or daily breakdowns, the notification chart shows you a number for your average hourly or daily alerts. Again, it can be difficult to come to terms with these data points when they're laid out in front of you. There's something about this section I appreciate though. Tapping on an individual app will load its native notification settings screen, the same one you can open elsewhere in settings, where you can immediately tweak how an app sends notifications to you. Once all these numbers have been collected, Screen Time will send you a rich notification at the end of each week with a report on how you used your devices. The notification card features a weekly chart with total app usage times and daily averages, icons for your most used apps, and more averages for daily notifications and pickups. I find Screen Time's weekly report to be a useful tool to keep specific trends under control on a regular basis without remembering to visit the settings app. Realizing that I was getting hundreds of notifications each day and picking up my devices every four minutes wasn't fun. Screen Time's weekly check-in has helped me form a better understanding of my iOS habits over time. In the past three months, I've realized that my experience with Screen Time is skewed by using iOS for work. 
my usage numbers are always going to be high, especially on my iPad Pro, and I don't necessarily feel bad if I see Safari or Slack at the top of my stats because I get work done and communicate with my team using those apps. However, screen time has opened my eyes to the fact that I was receiving too many iMessage notifications and spending too much time mindlessly scrolling Facebook each day. I believe the latter was genuinely unhealthy for me. Thanks to Screen Time's invisible monitoring and weekly reports, I was able to take stock of certain aspects of my daily iOS usage and make changes accordingly. I deleted the Facebook app, enabled Do Not Disturb for more iMessage threads, and tried to be more mindful of how much time I spend scrolling news feeds without thinking. Even without setting limits or restrictions, I believe that seeing numbers alone can help people understand where their time is going and how frequently iOS devices demand their attention. In fact, I'd love to see the addition of longer periods in screen time, such as monthly or yearly, with trend lines to monitor changes in users' habits over a longer span of time. Whether or not you think you're addicted to checking your phone, screen time acts as a mirror for your digital habits to help you understand which apps you're using the most. Screen time doesn't cast any judgment on the user. It doesn't imply whether or not certain amounts of time are bad or okay. It doesn't offer any actionable advice either. Screen time just gives you the numbers, and it's up to you to decide what they mean. You may not like what you find in screen time, but you'll always have the power to start making changes. App limits and downtime. If seeing numbers reported by screen time isn't enough for your self-control, iOS 12 gives you other tools in the form of limits and restrictions to more strongly nudge your iOS usage in a different direction. We covered the family and parental side of these features in a separate story, but in this section I'm going to focus on how you can leverage them for your personal iPhone or iPad experience. First, there's app limits. These are timers that you set for individual apps or entire app categories to define how much you can use them every day. Effectively, they are personal allowances. App limits can be created from a standalone app category in screen time, as well as by drilling it into individual app statistics. App limits reset every day at midnight, and they can be entered with a standard time picker, and they apply to all devices signed into the same iCloud account. When you're creating an app limit, both for apps and app categories, you can customize hour allotments for individual days in a customized days screen. As you can imagine, these allow you to set shorter limits for weekdays and longer ones for weekends. I wish Do Not Disturb had a similar option for its scheduling feature. Five minutes before hitting an app limit, iOS 12 will send you a notification telling you to get your affairs in order and prepare to stop using an app. Once the limits threshold is engaged, the app icon will be dimmed on the home screen and it'll gain a new hourglass indicator next to its name. Attempting to open a limited app will load a full screen view that prevents you from using the app. I say it that way because there's a button you can tap for options to override the limit for 15 minutes or ignore that limit for the day. By default, app limits are easy to override and don't act as a full-on restricted mode. If you want to slow yourself down and increase the likelihood of not opening a limited app, you need to turn on the screen time passcode option in settings, screen time, and subsequently enable the block at end of limit toggle for an individual app limit. This toggle won't be available unless you add a passcode to screen time though. 
By setting a passcode, you'll secure Screen Time's preferences. For instance, you'll be asked for a passcode every time you want to edit app limits and gain new options when attempting to open an app that has reached its limit. First, you'll see an alert labeled Ask for More Time that asks for your Screen Time passcode. Then, in addition to buttons for 15-minute and all-day allowances, you'll also get a one-hour option for extended usage of an app. There's also a more severe take on app limits in iOS 12 called downtime. This is a global switch that lets you schedule time away from the screen like you'd schedule do not disturb with a start and end time. In downtime mode, all apps except some that you specifically allowed beforehand are limited. Thus, if you wanted to establish a new behavior in your daily routine so that every day at 10pm you stop using iOS, you can schedule downtime and all apps will be limited and dimmed on the home screen, including their widgets. To whitelist specific apps, you need to visit the Always Allowed section of Downtime. iOS 12 always allows using the phone app, I assume for emergency situations, and it whitelists messages, FaceTime, and Maps by default. In my case, I also added WhatsApp to the list so that friends and family can always get in touch with me and vice versa. Whitelisting apps has the same effect whether you use Downtime or choose to enable app limits for all apps and categories. I've set a handful of app limits for myself over the past couple of months, and through my ups and downs, I've been able to successfully modify my usage of certain apps. These include no more than two hours of social networking, which was tough to follow at first, and one hour of YouTube each day, except for the weekend. Currently, app limits are somewhat of an artificial limitation. You can always ignore them with a few taps if you want to, but in my experience, they've been effective in reminding me that I should try to spend more time doing other things. I strongly believe that ultimately we have to understand and be mindful of smartphone app addiction as individuals. There's always going to be a weird tension in how companies such as Google and Apple give developers APIs to improve how we use apps while they also remind us that using apps too much can be bad. We can't rely on more software to change our relationship with other software. Just like wearing an Apple Watch doesn't magically turn you into an athlete, so too improved notifications and screen time will not fix your iPhone addiction overnight. If you think this is a problem you need to fix, you will have to want to fix it, just like exercising every day. That said, the features Apple built in iOS 12 are going to help us limit distractions, focus more, and be more aware of where our time goes. The expansion of Do Not Disturb, although limited, has brought a welcome set of options to silence notifications throughout the day. The new notification system is a resounding success, and hopefully just the starting point for frequent updates over the next few years. And screen time can be surprisingly effective in making you realize you should stop wasting several hours on Facebook every day. These are a lot of first steps from Apple, the company that invented the modern smartphone and glossed over its effects on our habits and lifestyles for too long. And even if this strategy doesn't work out, even if the time well spent movement ends up a fad and this version of screen time is all we'll ever see from Apple, well, at least we finally got proper group notifications in iOS 12. Those may turn out to be just enough to restore our iPhone sanity. Chapter 5. Messages, Animoji, and FaceTime. In a perfect segue from digital well-being and notification overload, let's talk about how you can turn yourself into an animoji and torment your friends with sticker-laden selfies in iOS 12. Messages Aside from new types of media that you can share over iMessage, the design and structure of the Messages app remains mostly unchanged from iOS 10 and iOS 11. The only exception is a highly contentious change to one of its built-in sharing features. 
In iOS 12, sending photos and videos over iMessage is done via a new standalone photos app inside Messages. Sending an item from your library has been completely ripped out of the camera experience and now exists as the first default app across the Messages app strip. While there is still a camera button next to the App Store logo flanking the Compose field, the camera is now dedicated to capturing media and applying effects. Tapping it doesn't bring up a grid of recent photos anymore. For the first few weeks of iOS 12, you will not adjust easily. You'll constantly hit the camera button, thinking that you can then tap on the bottom left corner to open your photo library, only to discover that you're about to capture a selfie of your perplexed face. Trust me, I've been there. For many weeks. Since iOS 5, we've been trained to share photos on iMessage with the same tap-tap-choose-send dance. You're going to see articles from folks who install iOS 12 and complain about the worst new iOS feature of the year. There will be tweets and opinions. Allow me to share mine. Apple is mitigating the transition to photos as an iMessage app with a library button in the camera view that dismisses the camera and loads the photos app in compact mode instead. The company obviously knows that users will try to share pictures the old way, and I think the button is a clever solution to teach users about the new existence of the photos app. More broadly, switching photos to be a standalone iMessage app takes a while to understand, but I believe it is a necessary medicine for the photo sharing experience to become powerful and integrated with iOS. Here's why. Not only does the new iMessage Photos app replicate the feature set of iOS 11, you can share recent photos or videos or view the complete library with an all photos button, but sharing suggestions have been integrated with it as well. By expanding the Photos app to its full layout, you'll see a subset of sharing suggestions inside of messages ready to be sent to participants in the conversation. These sharing suggestions are the same ones built into iOS 12's Photos app. They are generated with on-device machine learning that uses facial recognition and environmental triggers like location or time of day to create collections of photos you can share with people recognized in them. In the Photos app for iMessage, you can preview sharing suggestions, which lets you remove individual photos, then share them in a conversation as a rich album bubble that others can preview, add to their libraries, and expand with the new Share Back feature. There'll be more on this in the Photos chapter. Even better though, iOS 12's intelligence prioritizes certain sharing suggestions over others depending on the conversation you're in. So while a home suggestion is at the top of the photos app in the iMessage thread with my girlfriend, a different London album is the first suggestion in my conversation with Mike, Stephen, and John. According to Apple, this analysis happens locally, on device, and without further cloud processing required. Data detectors and the QuickType keyboard have also been updated to recognize when someone asks you to share a photo with them. If you receive a message of a request to share photos of another person, the word photos will be underlined in the transcript and you may see a choose photos button in the QuickType keyboard. Tapping either will load the photos app for iMessage in the compact mode. Given Apple's investment on smart sharing suggestions in iOS 12, it's not surprising to see them as the fulcrum of Messages' revamped photo sharing flow. Apple wants, nay, needs to ensure that people use this feature. It can act as further lock-in for iMessage, as well as compensate for the lack of true shared libraries among family members. From a strategic standpoint, it's smart to rebrand the traditional photo picker as a full-fledged extension of the Photos app that carries its iCloud-only perks over to iMessage. 
Once you get used to opening the Photos app first and toggling between typing suggestions and the app strip, the new messages structure starts to click. Tapping the camera now instantly takes you to a full-featured camera mode. When you're typing, toggling the app strip doesn't take over the keyboard anymore, but simply alternates between predictive suggestions and app icons. As a result, taking pictures is faster, and choosing from existing ones is easier and more powerful thanks to sharing suggestions. In hindsight, the old camera button felt like a compromise between taking pictures and browsing them. With messages in iOS 12, these features are two distinct modes, each with their own space and room for growth. Messages Camera At a high level, Apple's goal with the new Messages Camera was to let users be taken into the real iPhone camera experience, not a lesser version in a tiny preview screen. They were successful in this transition. When you tap the camera button in Messages, the regular camera view now comes up in full screen, offering the complete set of features from the main camera app. You can take portrait shots, record video, and adjust options without having to switch to a full camera mode, as was the case in iOS 11. You'll run into changes when you either take a picture or tap the star button in the lower left corner. Once a picture is taken, the photo preview freezes in the middle of the screen and reveals three buttons along the bottom, effects, edit, and markup, plus a large blue send button to share the item in the current conversation. Edit and markup are the exact same features you can access in the Photos app or elsewhere in iOS. The effects button is new to iOS 12. It combines existing photo filters, iMessage stickers, and emoji, text annotations, and shapes in a new media context that lets you creatively modify pictures and videos with an experience comparable to Instagram or Snapchat. Messages offered a selection of fun editing tools before, but the concept is more cohesively implemented in iOS 12, particularly thanks to stickers from iMessage apps which can now become part of a photo or video. With enough patience and dedication, you can turn your pictures into hilarious monstrosities by mixing and matching shapes or text and attaching stickers to any point of the scene. It reminds me of Apple's Clips app, and it's clearly designed for a younger generation of users who find it perfectly normal to complement their snaps with stickers and shapes. Even though I will seldom use these tools, I'm sure millions of other people will. The similarities of clips are more apparent when you tap on the effects button before taking a picture or recording a video. This mode is Apple's showcase for the true depth camera system and powerful hardware in the latest iPhones and iPads. When selected beforehand, effects lets you take pictures and record videos of an emoji, memoji, more on this in a bit, clips like real-time effects, and stickers that support face tracking. Playing around with these features can either lead to the creation of modern masterpieces or go dramatically wrong. In any case, the camera's effects mode is the most fun and jovial that Messages has been in years. Forget about digital touch in iOS 12's Messages, it's all about giant emoji heads and over-the-top filters. It's messy, it's silly, and my girlfriend hates it when I ask her questions as a deadpan T-Rex. I love it. I want to cover the technical aspects of face tracking stickers, which I find to be an interesting addition for developers. In iOS 12, Messages extensions, both apps with stickers and standalone sticker packs, can support two contexts, Messages for user interaction in a conversation, and Media, which applies to the Messages camera and FaceTime. The media contacts only supports a subset of features provided by the Messages framework. For instance, when shown in the camera, extensions can't bring up text fields. Interactions in the media environment are limited to placing stickers in the viewfinder with support for rotation, resizing, and removal of stickers. 
When you start dragging a sticker that has been updated for iOS 12's media contacts, you'll see a familiar yellow rectangle for face recognition and tracking. This allows you to attach a sticker to your face and have the system maintain its position as you move your head around. After you've placed the sticker on your face, iOS 12 takes care of tracking it and scaling it appropriately, which includes automatic resizing as you move backwards and forwards. Sticker developers don't have to do any additional coding for this to happen. It's all managed by the system and it's built in face tracking APIs. In addition to Apple's default sticker packs, I was able to play around with Lemonade, a third-party sticker app that received support for iOS 12's media context earlier this summer. The technology underlying this relatively minor feature is remarkable. Lemonade stickers, which include a gorilla, politician heads, and other creatures, can be attached to a recognized face and are continuously tracked as you move around in videos or tilt your head back and forth while talking. Even more impressively, iOS 12 makes it possible to stack and track multiple effects at the same time. In my very professional tests, I combined an emoji, hat stickers placed on top of my cartoon head, and backdrop effects while recording videos that I shared with my friends for their enjoyment. I now fully expect all sticker packs to be updated for iOS 12 and its media context in Messages and FaceTime. While they may not be as technically impressive as the real-time true depth enabled face masks of Snapchat, they're fun to play with and can liven up conversations quite a bit. Effects and stickers, however, aren't the real stars of the Messages experience in iOS 12. While Apple has done a solid job of reinvigorating the camera and photo sharing flows, Animoji are once again stealing the show. Memoji and the expansion of Animoji. As I argued in my iPhone X story from last year, Animoji are more than a simple 3D adaptation of standard emoji. Under the hood, they've always been a technical showcase for the True Depth camera system, an array of sensors and other technologies that is expanding to new iPhones and for the first time iPads this year. In addition to widening True Depth's reach to more devices, in iOS 12, Apple is also spreading an emoji across the system and enhancing their basic capabilities. As a first order of very serious business, there are four new Animoji in iOS 12, Tiger, Koala, T-Rex, and Ghost. The last two are hysterical given the dinosaur's cartoonish look in contrast with Hollywood's celebrated representation of the creature and the ghost's suspicious presence of lips. I never thought I would be saying this in an iOS review, but I have found myself attempting to capture a duck face as the ghost Animoji, and I'm happy to report that it can be done. In a welcome improvement from last year, Animoji now feature wink and tongue detection. This means you can, well, wink while recording an Animoji video and stick your tongue out as well. Alas, tongue detection isn't real-time tongue animation. Unlike head movements, True Depth can't capture you moving your tongue around. It only supports a single animation to stick it out. Still, I have found tongue detection to suffice when putting together videos and selfies of a wider range of expressions than ever before. Speaking of video, while Animoji Karaoke might have been an entertaining fad, Apple is making it easier to share custom Animoji video by extending their duration. In iOS 12, you can record Animoji videos that are up to 30 seconds long, which is 20 seconds longer than before. Unfortunately, you still have to record Animoji videos in messages, and there's no dedicated Animoji app available. The most important addition to Animoji in iOS 12, however, isn't the inclusion of new built-in characters. It's the fact that you can now create an Animoji for yourself through a new mode called Memoji. 
I believe that this feature will single-handedly convince existing iPhone X owners to upgrade to iOS 12. I also think it will turn out to be one of the most popular social functionalities bundled with iOS and messages, perhaps second only to new emoji. Memoji are fun and expressive, they're not creepy, and they're integrated with the system in a bunch of clever ways. Memoji have to be created manually with an avatar creation tool reminiscent of Nintendo's Mii Maker or Xbox's Avatar Editor. Unlike similar features by other companies, Memoji don't use facial recognition to automatically assemble a 3D avatar by scanning your face. The Memoji creation tools included with the Animoji app in Messages and guides you through the process of selecting a skin color and facial features such as hairstyle, eye color and shape, nose, lips, and even eyewear and headwear. Creating a Memoji character happens in a full-screen view inside of Messages, with a real-time preview at the top and controls for color pickers and different categories in the lower half. For a 1.0, Memoji are surprisingly packed with features and build atop Emoji and Animoji with options that always veer towards a pleasantly cartoonish style. Skin colors, for instance, include the classic emoji yellow, plus purple, green, blue, and others. The eye color tool comes with realistic options such as green and blue, but also includes a button for brown and aquamarine gradients, and artificial colors like pink and purple. If you want, you can create a Memoji that has a green face and a long pink beard. You can spend hours playing around with Memoji to replicate your favorite superhero or cartoon character, just like people did when Mii's first launched on the Nintendo Wii console. And because multiple Memoji can be stored and duplicated in the Animoji app, I expect most dedicated users to come up with wild reinterpretations of their faces, as well as popular characters from video games, movies, or TV shows. There's enough freedom to go beyond simply turning your basic self into an Animoji. I wouldn't be surprised if Animoji karaoke naturally evolves into Memoji movie trailers, thanks to iOS 12. Once you've created a Memoji, using it in the Messages app follows the same interaction model of Animoji. You can tap on a Memoji to send it as a static sticker, or you can record a video of yourself making silly faces and send it to your friend over iMessage. Like Animoji, you can't save a Memoji video to your camera roll directly, but once shared in a conversation, you can open the video in full screen preview and save it locally. In addition to the iMessage app, Memoji and Animoji have also been integrated as effects in the Messages camera in iOS 12. By tapping the Animoji app inside the camera when in front-facing mode, you'll be able to take selfies and record video featuring a giant Memoji head instead of your real face. The result is hilarious because, as I mentioned above, you can stack Memoji and Animoji together with other effects and stickers while you're also recording a video using your voice. One of my favorite Animoji videos, created during the iOS 12 beta, features me pretending to roar like a dinosaur against a cel-shaded background. My parents are also fans of my Memoji characters, although they insist I should get a haircut soon. I would have liked to see more representation in Memoji for different types of accessories, like nose ring and septum, which are absent from this release, as well as more inclusive options, such as a hearing aid. Perplexingly, not even AirPods or standard headphones make the cut. I suppose new facial features, like tattoos, makeup options, and more accessories will be progressively added in future updates to the Animoji app. There are hundreds of missing options that Apple should implement before even considering full-body Memoji characters. Memoji strike a good balance of generating realistic characters that aren't horrifying and blending Apple's emoji design sensibility with non-emoji avatars. 
By making every facial feature delightfully cartoonish, Apple eschewed the problem of users creating unsettling Memoji that look like tiny humans printed in a factory. Instead, Memoji feel like a successful crossover of Emoji and Bitmoji, powered by the true depth camera and nicely integrated with iMessage. I bet we're going to see a lot of these in our conversations going forward. FaceTime After neglecting its audio-video communication service for years, Apple wanted to rebuild FaceTime in iOS 12 from the ground up as a new app revolving around three key improvements. A new design, integration with camera effects, and group conversations. Unfortunately, only two of these three goals have been achieved in time for iOS 12's initial release, as group conversations have been delayed to later this fall. The new FaceTime UI follows the trend of moving essential interface elements towards the bottom of the screen, where they're easier to reach with one hand, an aesthetic already implemented in Apple Maps and coming to the Stocks app as well. FaceTime for iOS 12 features a new panel in the lower third of the screen, with buttons to apply effects in real time, end the current call, and access other settings. The latter option is noteworthy from a design standpoint as it expands the panel upwards to reveal other core-related functionalities. These include buttons to flip the camera or turn it off, mute audio, and change speaker settings. The expanded panel also allows you to jump directly to the iMessage thread for the person you're currently chatting with, which is a handy way to share pictures and links during a FaceTime call. The new call management screen works well. It collects useful controls in a dashboard that removes complexity from the main call UI, allowing people to be front and center. The design change has been thoughtfully ported to the iPad too, where the minimized card is a floating panel in the bottom left corner that can be expanded into a maps-like sidebar with embedded controls. If this is the direction Apple is taking for a future and long-awaited new iOS design language, I like where the company's going. Using the effects camera mode in FaceTime can be a fun diversion from traditional video calls. When you launch into effects mode, the view from your front-facing camera takes over the call and lets you preview effects in real time. The design is the same as the Messages camera. There's an app strip at the bottom for browsing the same effects available in Messages, including filters and stickers. On TrueDepth-enabled devices, you can turn your face into a Memoji or an emoji and let other people talk to a monkey, a dragon, or your Memoji character. On older iPhones and iPads, you will only get access to filters and stickers, which you can attach to your face or any other area captured by the camera. I don't think people are going to regularly video call one another with effects, but they're fun to play around with for a few times regardless. As with messages, it's a neat technical showcase and the performance is solid. This section would have been longer and more enthusiastic of FaceTime in iOS 12 had Apple managed to ship group conversations as they initially promised at WWDC. Instead, while I think Apple has done a good job with the new FaceTime app's layout, its new simplified design is obviously waiting for a feature that isn't here yet. Effects are fun and the new core management screen makes FaceTime easier to use than before, but neither options are what FaceTime truly needs. The current version of FaceTime in iOS 12 is a product on hold waiting for another shoot to drop. I'm glad that Apple is taking its time to make group conversations work well, but their absence can be felt in a redesigned app that feels simultaneously brand new and stuck in the past. In iOS 12, Apple aims to provide a suite of communication services that integrate deeply with each other and the OS, across a wide range of platforms and devices with an interplay of hardware and software as their cornerstone. 
This is apparent with Animoji and True Depth blending with FaceTime and the Messages camera. With FaceTime audio now having consistent support on iOS, macOS, watchOS, and HomePod, and it'll be evident once FaceTime can scale from individual to group conversations. Communicating with friends and family on Apple platforms increasingly means turning to a rich ecosystem of services that yield a more personal and holistic experience. Looking ahead to iOS 12's cycle through the rest of 2018, it's clear that Apple doesn't want to make simple communication apps anymore. We just need to wait for a few more months for this vision to be fully realized. Chapter 6, Shortcuts When Apple acquired Workflow last year, I outlined three possible scenarios for the app. A grace period leading to its eventual discontinuation, keeping the status quo and leaving workflow untouched for a few years, or in the most positive outcome, a complete overhaul of workflow relaunched as a new app with more powerful integrations. I had no idea that even the best possible scenario would turn out to be not optimistic enough. Workflow is reborn in iOS 12 as Shortcuts, a new app available for free on the App Store. The Shortcuts app is effectively a brand new version of Workflow that keeps compatibility with your existing workflows and makes them easier to run thanks to deeper integration with iOS and intuitive design and new actions. If you were a heavy Workflow user before, Shortcuts is a dream come true. The app represents Apple's renewed commitment to user automation, modernized for the age of apps, and centered around the belief that automation can empower everyone, not just programmers. But simply comparing shortcuts to workflow doesn't tell the whole story. Aside from the app's own capabilities, shortcuts epitomizes a vision for automation that goes beyond stringing together a series of actions. It's an all-encompassing plan that aims to give any app the ability to work directly with Siri. It's the idea that proactive assistance can also be a form of automation to help users get things done more easily and quickly. Shortcuts stands out in iOS 12 for two reasons. In a less sprawling release than last year's iOS 11, Shortcuts feels like an outlier, the only major new feature with ramifications that permeate the operating system, entangled with every app. Technically, it's also an App Store download, which means it won't be pre-installed on iOS 12. This unique combination of factors, an App Store app by Apple that may as well define an entire release, makes Shortcuts an exception from the company's usual iOS approach. I debated the inclusion of Shortcuts in this review for a long time. Ultimately, I believe it's essential to cover the app because the way I see it, the acquisition of Workflow was a building block for bolder plans. The power of Shortcuts ripples through the entire Apple ecosystem, and it represents one of Apple's most interesting software bets in years. System Shortcuts In iOS 12, there's a difference between Shortcuts the app and Shortcuts suggested by the system. Even without the Shortcuts app installed, iOS 12 can suggest relevant app shortcuts as search results or special notifications on the lock screen. You don't need to assemble these shortcuts yourself, as they're not workflows in a traditional sense. They're standalone system or app actions that can be activated via touch or invoked via voice. System shortcuts are automatically suggested by iOS 12. They fall under the domain of Siri suggestions, hence why they are also referred to as Siri shortcuts. An existing iOS feature that can now leverage signals such as your location, time of day, and motion, like walking or driving, to build patterns of actions that you regularly perform and might find useful again. 
These suggestions are generated using machine learning and series intelligence on device, and they range from opening a specific piece of content in an app to activating a system feature or performing an action in a third-party app. Essentially, a shortcut is a convenient way to reopen or interact with a key feature of an app that the user has previously seen or completed. As you start using iOS 12, and even before installing third-party apps updated to shortcut support, you'll begin to notice shortcut suggestions when you pull down on the home screen to open search. The ones iOS 12 thinks are most important or urgent, based on an invisible confidence threshold, will also be pushed to the lock screen so you won't miss them. The system starts simple and grows more timely and accurate the more you use an iOS device in your daily life. If someone calls you and you miss it, for instance, you'll see a shortcut to call them back. Tap the shortcut and it'll expand into a small card of a callback button to initiate a phone or FaceTime call. Or perhaps you have a calendar event about a call to a specific contact or business. When the event is due, you'll see a shortcut to call in without having to open the calendar app and copy the phone number. Or maybe you have an iMessage group that you frequently dip in and out of. Jumping to that thread with one tap from Spotlight can also be a system shortcut in iOS 12. In my tests of iOS 12 for the past three months, even before I started experimenting with compatible third-party apps, I was offered all kinds of shortcuts by the system, some more timely than others, but generally in line with my habits and routine. Here are some examples. When you copy a link to the clipboard, iOS 12 offers a shortcut in search to instantly open the link in Safari. The Photos app can provide shortcuts to reopen your recent photos, jump to the All Photos view, or open a specific album that you've recently viewed. Both podcasts and music support a vast array of shortcuts to play or resume albums, songs, episodes, playlists, or podcast stations. On my girlfriend's birthday, iOS 12 suggested a shortcut to call her and wish her a happy birthday. Of course, because I live with my girlfriend, calling her on the phone would have been weird, but I look forward to Siri offering birthday reminders for people with whom I don't share an apartment. If an important event, either fetched from the calendar or recognized in messages, is coming up soon, you'll see a shortcut to enable Do Not Disturb for the duration of the event iOS 12 can also suggest setting an early alarm if a calendar event will occur first thing in the morning. Notes can suggest individual notes you frequently open as shortcuts. Mail supports shortcuts to open specific mailboxes or run a search you previously performed in the app. Or Safari can suggest frequently visited websites as quick launches at different times throughout the day. These are only some of the shortcuts from Apple apps and system features that iOS 12 suggested on my iPhone and iPad between June and September. Apple has done an admirable job in bringing shortcut support to nearly every built-in iOS app. There are dozens of other native first-party shortcuts that I haven't mentioned here, many of which I probably still haven't discovered myself. As I noted above, while not all of these shortcuts were surfaced at the best possible time during the day, the system correctly picked up on activities I had previously performed on my devices. Because these shortcuts require no user setup and have zero learning curve, I believe that a vast portion of new iOS 12 users will be pleasantly surprised by this deeper built-in intelligence. The ability for the system to recognize and infer app-based shortcuts is built atop two existing technologies that iOS developers should already be familiar with, NS User Activity and SiriKit. It's important to know what these APIs can accomplish as they enable third-party apps to provide different types of shortcuts. Two kinds of app shortcuts. 
In Apple's parlance, shortcuts are donated by apps to the system after the user performs an action in an app. At a basic level, apps provide iOS 12 with a list of shortcuts they support. The system then uses Siri to predict relevant shortcuts fetched from this continuously changing data pool. This approach means developers have to do the work beforehand of understanding which actions or pieces of content their users might find useful again in the future. Developers should refrain from marking every single action or screen in their apps as a possible shortcut. Apple recommends offering only the most relevant ones as potential shortcut candidates to the system. Additionally, there are two types of app shortcuts. Basic shortcuts that open a specific piece of content or resume an activity inside an app are in the first group. These simpler shortcuts are based on NS user activity, an API that Apple first introduced in iOS 9 to let third-party apps hand off user activities to other devices as well as offer search results in Spotlight. The same API of minimal tweaks on the developer's side is used in iOS 12 to provide users with app-based shortcuts. In my tests with third-party apps updated for iOS 12, this type of shortcut has turned out to be the more widely adopted one as it's fairly easy to implement. If an app already supports NS user activity for search or handoff, all a developer needs to do is understand which activities could be relevant to the user as shortcuts and make them available for iOS 12 suggestions. Drafts 5, the note-taking app by Greg Pierce, offers shortcuts in iOS 12 to capture the contents of the system clipboard or reopen an existing workspace. When open from search, these shortcuts don't show a custom interface. They appear as tiny bubbles featuring the name and icon of the app, plus a label and glyph that indicate that they will launch drafts. Reminder, a reminders client by Mark DeFranco, supports activity-based shortcuts to reopen task lists you previously used in the app. Similarly, the email client Airmail has been updated with shortcuts to open an account's inbox or a specific folder. The list of examples goes on. Slip notes can donate shortcuts to reopen individual notes or categories of notes. Secrets, a password manager, can reopen logins or other secure items you previously viewed in the app. And Working Copy, the popular GitHub client, features shortcuts to launch the app and fetch the contents of a repository. I expect developer adoption of shortcuts based on NS user activity to be massive, especially for apps that do not require execution of background tasks. NS user activity should be enough to let users save time when reopening sections of apps or activities they performed before. According to Apple, while NS user activity enables basic integrations between apps and suggested shortcuts, SiriKit intents offer the best experience for users who want to accomplish more with shortcuts. This is not a new API either, but the way it's surfaced throughout iOS 12 is. SiriKit intents have been around since iOS 10 as a way for developers to integrate their apps natively with the Siri voice experience and perform actions in line with the assistant. Apple introduced SiriKit as a domain-based API designed for specific kinds of apps and slightly improved it last year with the addition of visual code, list, and note-taking domains. Apps that leverage the existing SiriKit framework include task managers such as Things and Todoist, messaging apps like WhatsApp and utilities such as DevonThink and AnyList. Just as it was becoming clear that Apple's narrow approach couldn't scale to thousands of apps that can't be categorized in specific domains, the company is turning SiriKit on its head. In iOS 12, developers can create custom SiriKit intents based on built-in semantic templates. Furthermore, intents can break out of the Siri UI and work as shortcuts in places like Search, the lock screen, and even the Siri face in watchOS 5. 
Apple's strategy isn't surprising. If iOS apps can have the ability to perform tasks of custom interfaces and responses outside the main app environment, as is currently possible with SiriKit Intense in iOS 11, why not expand the same functionality to other types of proactive assistants? With shortcuts, any essential repeatable feature of an app can become an action that can be executed from anywhere on iOS without launching the main app. For example, iOS 12 may learn that on the way back home from work on Thursdays, you like to order pizza and have it delivered by 8pm. Or that on an average workday around 1pm, you view your office project in things. These are repeatable actions that developers can turn into shortcuts of custom interfaces using the same underlying intense UI technology first launched two years ago. In iOS 12, these shortcuts can load their own UIs and or execute app actions in the background without leaving the context in which the shortcut is running. Developers who have shied away from integrating with SiriKit so far should probably reconsider and look into custom intents in iOS 12. This new feature allows any app to offer custom views and responses that are used when the intent is invoked as a shortcut, either from Search or Siri. To create a custom intent, developers can choose from building blocks that include verbs such as start or order and other templates. These semantic elements define the response associated with the shortcut when it's invoked via voice using Siri. Furthermore, developers can also design a custom interface for the snippet that is presented every time the shortcut runs. This UI is used whether the shortcut was activated from search, the lock screen, or as a Siri command. A great example of shortcuts based on custom SiriKit intents is Scriptable, an app by Simon Storving I've been testing this summer. Scriptable is a JavaScript IDE that lets you create scripts which perform native actions integrated with iOS frameworks, such as Reminders or the Clipboard. It's kind of like Pythonista, but for JavaScript automation. On iOS 12, Scriptable offers a shortcuts module that lets you display custom data and reviews inside a typical SiriKit response snippet. Because Scriptable donates scripts you create to the system, the app scripts will show up as suggested shortcuts in search after you've run them a few times inside the app. When a script from Scriptable is predicted as a shortcut in the search screen, or if you search for it by name, you can tap to run it without opening the app. The shortcut pops up as a floating card with a start button that when pressed loads the intense custom response into the card itself with an animated check mark at the bottom that indicates the shortcut was executed successfully. Several things have occurred behind the scenes here. Scriptable donated a script as a shortcut, which at some point was deemed appropriate to suggest in search. Because the shortcut was based on an intense UI extension, not only was iOS 12 able to execute code from the Scriptable app inside the shortcut, but it also presented a custom interface created by the user in a script. There are other examples of SiriKit-based shortcuts with custom interfaces that I want to highlight. Carrot Weather, the powerful and malevolent weather app, can bring up summary cards for daily or weekly forecasts. These shortcuts carry the same UI of the main Carrot app, and they're fully accessible from search even though they need to load data from remote weather stations. Daily Dictionary, a new word of the day app developed and curated by Benjamin Mayo, offers a shortcut to view the day's word selection in an information-rich card. Lookup takes a similar, albeit more visual, approach of its word of the day choice, which brings up a definition accompanied by a beautiful illustration. It's also possible for developers to keep custom interfaces to a minimum and ship custom intents that only perform tasks in the background. James Thompson's pCalc, for instance, has received extensive support for iOS 12 with shortcuts that can perform advanced calculations without opening the pCalc app or showing a calculator UI. 
These updated apps explain why I believe intent-based shortcuts are the most exciting developer feature in iOS 12. The combination of Siri intelligence with background execution of tasks enables users to effortlessly perform app actions at an appropriate time or location. The fact that Siri's integration with apps can extend beyond manual voice activation and become something that is proactively suggested feeds into the idea that iOS apps can be providers of features throughout the entire system. This is a concept Apple has been refining for years with widgets, extensions, and classic Siri intents. Shortcuts are the next logical step to turn apps into features that are personalized to the individual user and intelligently recommended by Siri. Even though the opposite may seem true, the shortcut features I've described so far do constitute a form of automation. Suggested shortcuts can be considered system automations, actions to trigger a specific function that are conveniently presented to anticipate users' needs. Some old-school power users may disagree with me on this, but I consider Apple's proactive technologies, whether in surfacing a calendar event in an email message or ordering coffee while driving to work, a new kind of automation. Only time and developer adoption will tell if Apple's gamble is successful, particularly for SiriKit-powered shortcuts that require more work from developers. Conceptually speaking, though, I see suggested shortcuts as an effortless solution to get users accustomed to the idea of prepackaged actions that are automatically surfaced by the operating system. The line between system and user automation gets blurry once we start considering a deeper layer of Apple's shortcuts initiative, the ability for users to create custom phrases to launch shortcuts with their voice via Siri. Add to Siri. In iOS 12, users can define their own phrases for launching specific shortcuts via voice. Think of it as the voice equivalent of triggering an action on the Mac using a keyboard shortcut with apps such as Alfred or Keyboard Maestro, only instead of defining a combination of keys that run an action when pressed, you record a sequence of words that when spoken to Siri will activate a predefined shortcut anywhere in the system. There are three ways to create a custom phrase for a suggested shortcut. The first method involves visiting the shortcut management screen located in Settings, Siri and Search. At the top of the screen, you'll find up to three suggestions for relevant shortcuts. Tap All Shortcuts and you'll be taken to a page listing all the shortcuts available for apps currently installed on your device. The Settings app automatically suggests recently used app shortcuts as well as other shortcuts that were previously donated by apps. Tapping on the plus button next to a shortcut brings up a native Add to Siri UI that all apps have to use to let you record personalized shortcut phrases. This screen features the name and icon of the app that donated the shortcut alongside a title and description for the shortcut. Moreover, developers can include a phrase suggestion for the selected shortcut to give users an idea for a potential phrase. However, it is always up to the user to decide what they want to record. Developers, even Apple, cannot pre-populate your personalized shortcut list with phrases they've chosen. You always have to create a phrase for each shortcut yourself. Upon tapping the record button, Siri will start listening for a phrase you speak into the microphone and transcribe what it hears. Once it recognizes the phrase, it will stop listening and load a confirmation screen displaying the phrase it heard. At this point, you can either save the personalized shortcut or tap an edit button to choose between alternative transcriptions. With my Italian accent, for example, a show me weight phrase offered show my weight as an alternative. 
Once given a custom phrase, user configured shortcuts can be viewed in settings, Siri and search, my shortcuts. In this list, you can tap on a shortcut to delete it or re-record the phrase if you want to change its voice trigger. The second way to save custom Siri shortcut phrases, as well as to see all shortcuts available for an app, is to visit an app's configuration screen in the System Settings app. In this screen, tap Siri and Search, then Shortcuts, and you'll be presented with a page containing your personalized shortcuts, suggested shortcuts, and shortcuts recently donated by the app. Functionally, adding and managing shortcut phrases works just like in settings main series section, but this method has the advantage of coalescing all types of app shortcuts into one screen. Finally, you can save shortcut phrases inside apps. In iOS 12, third-party developers can embed messages and buttons to bring up the Siri UI to record a shortcut phrase for an associated screen or action. While many developers have opted to use plain Add to Siri text buttons, I've seen apps such as Mayo's Daily Dictionary adopt Apple's official and nicer Siri button, which can be black or white. Developers can also display already recorded shortcut phrases in their app's UI and allow users to delete or re-record a phrase using the system's native Siri screen. When a shortcut runs in the context of Siri after being triggered by a custom phrase, it behaves similarly to how it would work in search or on the lock screen, and consistently with regular SiriKit intents. If a shortcut needs to open an app after hearing a custom phrase, the assistant will launch the app into the activity paired with the shortcut. Draft's search draft lift shortcut, for example, instantly takes you out of Siri and loads the draft's app in search mode. However, if a shortcut needs to show you a custom UI or voice response, it'll run in line within Siri and display its own interface and response without leaving the assistant. The aforementioned scriptable app can show its custom UI in Siri just like it can when running in search. If you program a custom voice response in a script, Siri will display the visual shortcut and speak the response too. Similarly, Carrot Weather can provide Siri with a visual forecast plus a user-customizable spoken summary. Snip Notes lets Siri read entire notes and uses the visual intent as a tappable button to open an individual note in the app. There are a few implementation details worth noting about shortcuts that leverage intense UI extensions. Most notably, custom interfaces can only receive touch events to launch the activity associated with the shortcut in the main app. For instance, you can tap on the shortcut snippet for a drafts note to view the item in the app. However, this also means that visual shortcuts aren't fully interactive. James Thompson won't be able to build a calculator shortcut that lets you perform operations with a full-blown calculator UI inside Siri. Content displayed inside Visual Intents can be animated, but it's never interactive. Developers can include buttons outside the Intents interface to initiate specific actions or confirm the execution of a shortcut. For example, a food delivery app can embed an order button at the bottom of an intense UI-based shortcut and perhaps yes and no buttons to confirm that the user wants to have food delivered to their house. Waterminder, a hydration utility, has adopted these confirmation buttons in its shortcuts to log new water entries to iOS's HealthKit database. After asking users to confirm the shortcut they've invoked with a custom phrase, Waterminder can even update the intense UI once the yes button has been tapped and the entry recorded. Also, a note on syncing custom phrases and apps relying on custom intents. Custom phrases sync between your device with iCloud, but you have to ensure the same app is installed everywhere for an associated shortcut to work properly on multiple devices. 
For instance, if you're using an iPad and invoke a shortcut that was created on the iPhone, Siri will give you an error if you don't have the same app installed. But if you do, the shortcut will launch correctly without having to set it up from scratch. As for apps using the new Custom Intent API, as I mentioned above, they can provide shortcuts with custom responses that are spoken aloud by Siri. This allows custom responses to be read aloud by Siri on HomePod, Apple Watch, and CarPlay, rather than falling back to the iPhone. And as I'll explain shortly, custom responses are one of the core features behind integration between Siri and the new Shortcuts app. It's entirely up to developers to understand the types of shortcuts they want to donate from their apps to iOS 12, and if necessary, design their Siri intense UIs and responses accordingly. This is not a trivial amount of work, especially for apps that want to go beyond basic launcher shortcuts, but because custom intents and shortcuts are opening up Siri to effectively any kind of iOS app regardless of its domain, I'm optimistic that developer adoption is going to be fast-paced and diverse. The more I think about it, the more I see custom shortcut phrases as the next big step in making Siri a more personal assistant that is unique to each user. As would happen with an actual assistant, shortcut phrases allow users to form their own language over time, creating a personalized set of instructions that only their assistant can interpret and act upon. It's the equivalent of jargon in a group of friends, but applied to Siri and app actions. The potential accessibility perks are tremendous too. Apple now enables everyone to create custom Siri phrases that can be however long or short they want. This removes the need to find actions nested in apps multiple levels deep into their navigation. Apple has been smart in reframing iOS automation around Siri and voice. As I noted above, custom phrases aren't too dissimilar from keyboard shortcuts. However, spoken phrases are easier to remember. They don't feel like dark magic to regular users who have never bothered with automation before. And most of all, they are natively supported across the entire spectrum of Apple products, from iPhones and AirPods to HomePods and watches. I strongly believe that personalized phrases are the first step towards changing the fundamental Siri experience, which is evolving into a personal command log from one Siri to a million series, each uniquely tailored to the user who customized it. Furthermore, custom phrases bring us to the final and most powerful layer of Apple's automation Siri strategy in iOS 12, the brand new Shortcuts app. The Shortcuts app. With the Shortcuts app, the best timeline scenario I imagined last year is coming true. Shortcuts is the new version of Workflow. Redesigned and updated for iOS 12, the Shortcuts app aims to keep near-perfect compatibility with your existing workflows and uses iCloud Sync to make them available across devices, replacing the old proprietary Workflow Sync service. Shortcuts isn't a spiritual successor to Workflow, like Apple Music might have been for Beats Music. Shortcuts is a continuation of the same app based on the same design, automation model, and integration with iOS features. Rather than calling it Workflow 2.0, Apple has taken the app we know and love, renamed it Shortcuts, and relaunched it as an advanced take on iOS 12's shortcut system. In this review, I won't go over every single detail of the Shortcuts app for a simple reason. There are four years of workflow coverage on Mac Stories that explain features and use cases that are still valid for the Shortcuts app today. If you want to know what Shortcuts can do and download practical examples I put together in the past, there is a whole cornucopia of articles for you to spend a few days catching up. Allow me, however, to offer a brief recap and go over some of the key similarities between workflow and shortcuts. The main idea behind shortcuts is that you can assemble custom shortcuts to automate and speed up tedious tasks that you perform on a regular basis. 
This is done by chaining together a series of visual steps that pass data to each other and execute a sequence of actions from top to bottom. The design of Shortcuts is heavily inspired by Apple's automation app for the Mac Automator. Like its Muse, Shortcuts doesn't require any programming knowledge. You don't write code or scripts to make these actions run. You add them via drag and drop from a built-in editor that contains pre-assembled shortcuts. There are similarities with programming language and shortcuts, which is why people often refer to it as visual programming. To pass an item, which can be some text, an image, a document, etc., etc., between actions, you can use variables. A variable is a piece of content that can change dynamically every time a shortcut runs. However, the workflow team had a fantastic idea years ago. Unlike traditional programming languages such as Python or Swift, users don't even have to create and manage variables themselves thanks to a feature called magic variables. With magic variables, shortcuts automatically generates variables for the result of each step, and the user can pick them, rename them, and use them with a visual editor. Other traditional programming concepts have been implemented in a similar vein. Conditional statements and loops are visually indented in the editor, and you can define conditions or repetitions with a visual menu. The classic print or console.log functions to display a result message have been replaced by native alerts that pop up in the middle of the screen. While you may be dealing with classic programming techniques when creating a shortcut, you never notice because of the app's visual, user-friendly approach. This is largely made possible by two other fundamental concepts of workflow that are at the center of shortcuts as well, the content graph and integration with iOS frameworks. The former is a powerful engine that behind the scenes manages variables to ensure they can be passed from one action to another without producing errors. It is a unique spin on the idea of type coercion that ultimately is completely abstracted from the user. The content graph is one of the most powerful proprietary workflow technologies that Apple acquired alongside the app. Integration with iOS and apps has always been workflow's most impressive trait, and it's been further enhanced for the new app. Shortcuts has actions that integrate with native iOS features such as Reminders, Calendar, Apple Music, and Maps. It supports Quick Look and can import documents from files. If you're an advanced user, Shortcuts can make HTTP requests and leverage iOS's built-in cocoa-flavored regular expression engine. In addition to what you can do inside Shortcuts with iOS integrations, the app extends its reach throughout the entire system. You can run Shortcuts as widgets, you can summon a shortcut from the share sheet with an action extension, and in iOS 12, you can even use your custom shortcuts running inside Siri. Deep, secure, and visual integration with iOS made workflows stand out from other automation utilities years ago, and this aspect is stronger than ever in Shortcuts. Applying these concepts when assembling a custom shortcut yields unadulterated freedom to create visual automations for anything in iOS. Perhaps you want to rotate and resize multiple photos in a row, or maybe you want to perform a mail merge to send emails to a few dozen people. Perhaps you want to pass a series of tasks to the Things app, or turn a selection from Safari into a note in Drafts, all of this is possible with shortcuts. The app's automations are easy to build, they can save you time and provide consistent results, and they can be integrated with the system or even with each other. Your imagination is the limit. As I mentioned above, if you've never used Workflow before, I strongly recommend catching up with articles that we've written at Mac Stories to learn the fundamentals of features that I can't cover in depth in this review. It's fine, I'll wait. You go do that, I'll still be here. 
Fortunately, links to old workflows I shared on Mac Stories and Cloud Mac Stories are still working and allow you to import legacy workflows into the Shortcuts app. And if you'd rather listen than read, I suggest downloading the workflow series we recorded on the Canvas podcast last year. Now, let's have a closer look at the new Shortcuts app and what it enables in iOS 12. What's new in Shortcuts? Shortcuts takes Workflow's grid-based design and refreshes it with an aesthetic that's more in line with our Apple UIs. The app is still organized in two main tabs, the library, which features a colorful grid of your shortcuts, and the gallery, which contains over 300 examples of shortcuts created by Apple, ready to download and use. Apple has done an outstanding job picking useful examples for a variety of tasks and organizing them in a gallery that can be browsed and searched. Once you've found a shortcut you're interested in, you can preview the actions inside it or add it to your library. As was the case with Workflow post-acquisition, shortcuts featured in the gallery are Apple-made only and users can't submit their own. I hope that showcasing user-generated shortcuts in the public gallery will eventually come back as I think there's real value in featuring examples created by the community. The most visible change in the library view pertains to how shortcuts can be run and edited. In shortcuts, tapping a shortcut in the grid starts it running immediately without opening the editor. If a shortcut displays custom interfaces such as lists or keyboard input, those elements will be shown without leaving the main view. I believe Apple made this change for two reasons. First, it speeds up how you can run a shortcut as you don't have to be taken into the editor anymore. Second, and perhaps more importantly, this design obviates the need to look at a shortcut while it's executing, with actions running from top to bottom, which can be intimidating for first-time users who have never dabbled in automation before. Even though it takes some time to adjust to the new activation method, I think it was the right choice. If you want to open the shortcut editor, you'll have to tap on the three-dot button at the top right of each shortcut. You can still rearrange shortcuts with drag and drop in the library, but the app now uses haptic feedback when you're moving them around the grid, which is a nice touch. Also, both on the iPhone and iPad, you can rearrange multiple shortcuts at once via drag and drop. As someone who recently reorganized a library of almost 400 shortcuts, I can confirm this addition is very much welcome. Aside from a refresh design, there are no functional changes in Shortcuts Action Extension and Widget. Existing limitations still apply, the widget can only display a subset of interactive elements, and the Action Extension isn't well suited for intensive tasks given its memory constraints. The Shortcut Editor still looks and behaves like workflows with some exceptions. Action steps and variables are presented just like in Workflow with customizable fields, submenus, and magic variables that can be configured exactly like in the old app. But unlike Workflow, the editor's appearance is now white with more colorful icons and an overall iOS 11-ified design. The settings screen for an individual shortcut is also untouched, save for the new Add to Siri button that now lets you record a phrase to trigger a shortcut from Siri. The biggest difference is in how you add actions from the editor. On iPhone, the old sidebar, a swipeable page on the left side, is gone, leaving room for a Maps-inspired bottom panel that contains a search bar and the action library. By default, the panel is collapsed so that you only see the search bar when you're editing actions. When you tap in the search box or if you swipe up on the panel, the list of actions comes up, allowing you to view search results, browse categories of actions, and drag and drop an action into the editor. 
On iPad, the app still features a sidebar when used in regular size class. In compact mode, for example slide over, it follows the same bottom panel approach of the iPhone version. To add an action to a shortcut, you can still drag it from the action library and drop it at a specific point in the editor. The interaction has been polished and enhanced for shortcuts, which is best showcased on iPad. On iPhone, the Taptic Engine perfectly complements the gesture. When you hold an action, you first feel a haptic tap that suggests you've picked up an item. As you do this, the action panel collapses, allowing you to drag the action across the editor. When the action enters the editor, you feel a second tap, and the action expands into the full cell. At this point, every time you cross another action with the one you're dragging, you feel a series of taps that indicate you're scrubbing through a list of actions. This has become one of my favorite uses of the Taptic Engine on iOS. I sometimes drag actions around the shortcut editor just to fiddle with the Taptic Engine and its haptic feedback. As you play around with the new action library, you'll notice that it is now organized in three main sections. At the top, favorite actions, series suggestions, and scripting. Content types, which includes most of the app's native iOS integrations, and apps for actions belonging to third-party and other Apple apps. While most of these are familiar names and actions that were already supported in Workflow, there are some notable new entries that reveal Apple's bigger ambitions for shortcuts as an iOS automation layer and Siri companion. Let's go through them all. Siri Suggestions the most prominent new category of actions in the Shortcuts app is where things get really interesting, and in a way, quite meta. In Shortcuts, you can create custom shortcuts, i.e. workflows, that include app-based Siri shortcuts as actions. Essentially, the native shortcuts I covered before, the ones that are suggested in search and that you can manage from settings, can be treated as steps of a longer and more complex shortcut. So yes, you can put a shortcut inside a custom shortcut and run it as a shortcut in Siri. This joke kind of writes itself. And by the way, it's really difficult to say. There are two ways to find these shortcuts from the editor. In the Series Suggestions category of the library, you'll see a subset of shortcuts that have been recently donated by an app. In the app's individual entry under the app's category, you'll find a list of all available shortcuts. Essentially, the Series Suggestions category is there to provide a collection of app shortcuts consistent with iOS 12 settings. Despite confusion arising from the fact that everything is called a shortcut, this concept is a powerful one. In addition to letting developers integrate with the Shortcuts app using URL schemes and X callback URL, which are not going away, iOS 12 also lets them provide native app actions that can be executed inside a custom shortcut with or without showing an interface. Once again, the same shortcuts you can run in Siri, the lock screen, or search can be used as standalone actions in the Shortcuts app. This opens the door to a new kind of native automation that entirely abstracts URL schemes and which instead leverages user actions and SiriKit as modules for the Shortcuts app. As you can imagine though, there are some limitations to this approach. When they're part of a custom shortcut, Siri suggestions can behave in a few different ways. Those based on NS user activity that launch apps into specific screens will leave the shortcuts app. If they use SiriKit intents, they can execute app actions in the background or bring up a custom UI when a shortcut is running. However, unlike other shortcut actions, Siri suggestions cannot receive input and set output. They can't be modified with variables, and they do not produce any result other than performing the action they've already been assigned. They just execute a standalone immutable entities. The native shortcuts you see in the Shortcuts app are the same kind you see in settings. Just like you can't edit them there, you can't make changes to them in shortcuts either. 
Given these limitations, why would you want to have a serious suggestion in a custom shortcut? Well, it depends on the context in which you're running a shortcut and what you're hoping to accomplish. If you've put together a shortcut that you're always going to run inside the Shortcuts app, perhaps you'll find it more useful to have a serious suggestion that loads a custom UI as a step in the middle of it. The Scriptable app, for instance, can display script results of a native interface while the shortcut is executing. Or perhaps you've created a long shortcut and you want to launch an app at the end of it as a final step. Series suggestions that take you into specific app screens are great when they're placed at the end of a series of actions as they can suggest that the shortcut is done and you're now leaving the app. Examples may include launching your favorite podcast app into a specific playlist, loading directions in a navigation app, or opening a note. My favorite kind, however, are third-party series suggestions that kick off an action in the background without interrupting you with a UI or forcing you to exit the Shortcuts app. These are made possible by SiriKit Intents and disabling the show-when-run toggle in the action. With these shortcuts, you can perform background tasks such as starting audio playback, copying text from an app to the clipboard, or triggering a home automation command. This flavor of Siri suggestions represents Apple's first step towards a native automation framework for third-party apps that replaces URL schemes of a secure extension model. Apple is not labeling it as such, and rightfully so. With Siri suggestions and shortcuts, you're just executing a prepackaged item without the ability to control the flow of arguments going into the shortcut and the result coming out of it. It's easy, however, to imagine where things may go from here. Right now, Siri suggestions cannot be customized by the user. In the future, the same SiriKit framework could let users create their own app shortcuts that support custom parameters and data fields to read content from an app, save data into it, and execute arbitrary tasks in the background, all without having to launch an app with a URL scheme. Part of this is already happening now, but the shortcut is defined by the developer and controlled by iOS. If the same system could be open to user customization with variables and inputs and outputs, Apple could end up with a powerful automation stack free of the security concerns and inelegance of URL schemes. Consequently, power users would be able to program Siri and apps however they wanted instead of being limited to developer-defined shortcuts. Looking ahead to Shortcut's future, I think it's clear that Apple would prefer to go down this road rather than support URL schemes forever. I believe a native automation framework will be one of the big next steps for Shortcuts as far as integration with third-party apps goes. For now, serious suggestions in Shortcuts can be a convenient way to extend your custom shortcuts with basic app integrations, especially when it comes to performing specific actions in the background. HomeKit Home automation is the perfect example of such background tasks. Contrary to what I expected, Shortcuts doesn't offer a full-blown HomeKit integration to control individual characteristics of accessories or create recurring automations. For that, you'll still have to use the standalone Home app. Instead, Shortcuts can set HomeKit scenes for any of your configured homes. To trigger HomeKit scenes in Shortcuts, you'll need to use the new Run Home Scene action. Once added to a shortcut, there are two parameters to configure this action, the home you want to control and an existing scene you want to set. HomeKit scenes are presented in a list that can't be searched, which may be slightly inconvenient for heavy HomeKit users who have set up dozens of scenes in their homes. Fortunately, the scene field of the action supports magic variables, so you can pass the name of a scene previously picked from, say, a custom choose from list action. 
Despite the bare-bones nature of this action, as I mentioned above, you can't control individual HomeKit accessories at all, I appreciate the inclusion of Run Home Scene in Shortcuts as it allows the app to interact with HomeKit even if in a limited fashion. This means it's finally possible to build widgets that trigger HomeKit scenes or have Siri execute multiple home scenes in a row. As I'll explain later on, I've been taking advantage of this integration for a shortcut that I couldn't create with the old workflow app. Run JavaScript on web page. This is one of the most surprising enhancements to Workflow's existing roster of Safari actions. Shortcuts can execute arbitrary JavaScript code on a web page and pass results to subsequent actions. Executing JavaScript in shortcuts can only happen inside the action extension when you run a shortcut from the share sheet in Safari or Safari View Controller. The action is sandboxed to the Safari process and the current Safari page. It can't control other browser tabs or access data from other apps. A Safari web page item needs to be the input type of this action, which can return text dictionaries, Boolean values, or numbers as output. These requirements notwithstanding, you can execute any JavaScript code you want as long as it doesn't contain any synchronous functions such as alert or prompt. You can read and modify the contents of a web page inline, perform HTTP requests and regular expressions. If you know JavaScript well enough, you can even put together complex scripts that can do almost anything you'd be able to do with a JavaScript console in a desktop web browser. I'm not a JavaScript expert, but I've been impressed with Shortcut's ability to return structured data and file objects via JavaScript, which can then be processed with other actions in the app. An obvious implementation of Run JavaScript will be adapting bookmarklets to execute inside the Shortcuts extension, but I look forward to seeing users come up with more advanced ideas that combine visual shortcut actions with JavaScript, something that bookmarklets alone were never able to achieve. Set Do Not Disturb with this new action, you can enable Do Not Disturb with the same set of options available in Control Center. Once added to a shortcut, flipping the Do Not Disturb toggle will reveal an Until field in the action, which lets you choose between multiple options for disabling Do Not Disturb later. These are Until turned off, Until a specific time, Until you leave the current location, or Until a calendar event ends. Of these settings, the Time and Event Ends options can be configured with variables. For time, you can pass a valid date time item, which can be typed in natural language as well, and shortcuts will engage do not disturb and automatically disable it when it reaches the expiration time. For the calendar, you'll need to pass a calendar event object, which you can obtain with the find calendar events, add new event, and get upcoming events actions. Alas, shortcuts cannot schedule do not disturb to start at a specific time. It can only enable it now and disable it later. I assume this is due to iOS's own inability to create standalone do not disturb schedules. In the future, I'd like this action to include a start time option and new ways to control the geofences radius when leaving a location. Still, it can be useful to activate do not disturb as part of a more complex shortcut or to have a widget that can set do not disturb with presets. Markup. If you want to annotate an image or PDF document and save it somewhere else, Shortcuts now supports the native iOS markup mode, the same annotation feature you can use in Notes, Files, and other system apps. The markup action supports images and PDFs as input types and returns their annotated versions as the output. Whether you're using it in the Shortcuts app or in the Share Sheet, the action will display the full screen annotation UI to add shapes, text comments, and drawings to a document. It would have been nice to set default colors and tool sizes to be automatically loaded when markup comes up, 
but I'm just nitpicking at this point. I've had fun incorporating this action into my screenshot shortcuts. Other system actions. Here's a list of some other system actions that are new in shortcuts. Open multiple URLs at once. Shortcuts replaces Workflow's old hack to open multiple URLs in Safari with a native solution to open dozens of links at once in separate tabs. In a nice touch, Safari can present a new prompt if you attempt to open too many URLs at once. On most devices, the prompt will be displayed if you try to open more than 50 URLs at a time, but this threshold is lower on older devices. In addition to being tied to shortcuts open URLs action, the new prompt also kicks in if you try and drag and drop too many links onto Safari's plus button on iPad. Send and request payment. Based on the existing SiriKit domain for payments, these actions allow you to request and send money using third-party payment apps that already work with Siri. For instance, in addition to Apple Wallet, you can use Square Cash or N26 as actions that don't even need to open the main app, though that is an option. Fields you can customize with variables in these actions include the recipient's email address, amount, and optional notes. iCloud Sharing In replacing the old Workflow Sync service, Apple also reworked how sharing shortcuts with other people works in the new Shortcuts app. You can now share custom shortcuts via iCloud. In the Shortcut Editor, tap the Share Sheet and choose Copy iCloud Link. After a few seconds, the Share Sheet will be dismissed and you'll have an iCloud.com shareable URL in your clipboard. Opening the iCloud link for a shared shortcut takes you to a web page containing a preview of the shortcut and a button to import it into the Shortcuts app. In my tests, iCloud sharing, just like the new iCloud Shortcut Sync, has been fast and reliable. Device scripting. In the device section of the scripting category, you'll find new actions to toggle airplane mode, Bluetooth, cellular data, and low power mode. Unfortunately, it's not possible to connect to specific Bluetooth devices from shortcuts. Set brightness. In the old Workflow app, this action could only control the brightness of the app itself. In shortcuts, you can change device brightness system-wide without opening Control Center. As before, you can set brightness manually with a slider or by passing a numeric value between 0 and 1. Show results and Siri integration. The last new action in shortcuts deserves a standalone mention as it's probably the most important of the bunch and the one that will unlock fascinating new possibilities for automation in iOS 12. The action is called Show Result and it allows you to program a custom Siri response that the assistant will display and read aloud when a custom shortcut is triggered with a personalized phrase. This brings me to another essential advantage of shortcuts over workflow. In iOS 12, you can assign a phrase to a custom shortcut and let Siri execute it in the background like other native app shortcuts. With the exception of specific cases in which Siri won't be able to complete execution of a shortcut in line, this integration allows you to enhance Siri with a virtually endless list of personal commands. With iOS 12 and shortcuts, automation turns into something more than running a sequence of actions in an app or widget. It can become a way to expand Siri itself, making it infinitely more useful and tailored to each user. To trigger an individual shortcut of a custom phrase, you need to open a shortcut setting screen and tap the Add to Siri button. Once given a phrase, a shortcut can be summoned from Siri which will run it in the background, unless it hits a step that isn't supported by the assistant. 
In the first version of shortcuts, unsupported actions include any kind of user interaction. If a shortcut requires you to type or dictate text, choose from a list of items or preview data with Quick Look, Siri will have to open the shortcuts app and finish executing the shortcut there. Only shortcuts that do not require any user interaction can be fully executed inside Siri. With this in mind, if you have shortcuts that perform sequences of actions without your input or launching other apps, you'll be able to run them entirely within Siri. When you summon a shortcut with a custom phrase, Siri will display a running your shortcut message along with a small intent snippet for the requested shortcut. It'll then proceed to run actions in the background and if available, provide you with a custom voice response. Custom Siri responses can be configured with the show result action. This is similar to show alert in that it can be filled with arbitrary text or variables and doesn't support showing images or other document types with quick look, just text. Unlike show alert, the show result action doesn't have a title field and doesn't contain buttons to continue or stop execution of the shortcut. If a shortcut is running inside the shortcuts app, the extension or the widget, show result will bring up a native alert. However, when a shortcut is invoked from Siri, show results alerts become text responses read aloud by the assistant. Responses configured in the show result action can be as verbose as you want, and they can be intermixed with other actions or suggested shortcuts by apps. For example, if a custom shortcut contains both native app shortcuts and a custom show result response, running the shortcut in Siri will produce multiple responses. You'll see the visual intent and response from a third-party app, plus the response you configured yourself in the shortcuts app. With shortcuts and customizable responses, Apple is effectively giving users an intuitive tool to program their own Siri commands. All of this happens with no traditional coding whatsoever. The approach is not necessarily about automation per se, as much as it's about automation as a means to an end, leveraging shortcuts automation features to make Siri do exactly what we need. As you're going to hear with the following examples, the marriage of Siri and shortcuts automation unlocks a whole new level of flexibility in iOS 12. Shortcut examples. I was going to lead this section with an action speak louder than words joke, but as it turns out, it literally does not apply to custom Siri responses. Still, the underlying sentiment does hold true. I think the best way to understand the power of shortcuts in Siri in iOS 12 is by playing around with actual examples of custom shortcuts. You're going to hear about a series of shortcuts that I've put together specifically for this review. Most of them can be downloaded for free. The more advanced ones are exclusive to Club Max Stories members, and they will be shared in the newsletter that comes later this week. For the sake of clarity and context, there's going to be short video demonstrations available on the Max Stories website. Do not disturb menu. Using the Do Not Disturb integration in iOS 12, this shortcut will let you silence notifications, choosing from three different options in a menu until manually turned off, until the end of a calendar event, or until a specific time. Essentially, it replicates the feature available in Control Center, albeit with better calendar integration and the ability to run it in a widget. Unlike Control Center, this shortcut can fetch multiple calendar events occurring on the current day, but not ones that have already passed, and ask you to pick one. The end time of the selected calendar event will then be used as the expiration time for Do Not Disturb. Additionally, you can build your own series of hours of the day when you typically want Do Not Disturb to be disabled. This is done using a list action combined with Choose From List. Once enabled, the shortcut will also tell you when Do Not Disturb is set to expire. I've been using this shortcut to activate Do Not Disturb in different ways from the widget, and I like how the calendar event picker lets me choose between multiple upcoming events. 
As I said, you can download this shortcut on the Mac Stories website in the shortcuts chapter of this review. Dark Sky Check Previously shared of Club Mac Stories members in issue 137 of the Mac Stories weekly newsletter, this shortcut uses the Dark Sky API to give you a forecast for the current day and have it read aloud by Siri. Like Workflow, Shortcuts is able to perform HTTP requests to any web service using an API endpoint in the Get Contents of URL action. In this case, the shortcut contacts the Dark Sky API, asking for the forecast of a specific location with parameters for coordinates, temperature units, and language. The response is passed with multiple Get Dictionary value actions that demonstrate Shortcuts' ability to pass structured JSON data. Finally, a custom response is assembled using magic variables in a show result action. Once given a custom phrase, you'll be able to run this shortcut in Siri and make the assistant read data from Dark Sky without having to open the Dark Sky app. This response is completely customizable. If you want to include different data points, you just need to look into the JSON response returned by Dark Sky. This shortcut is one of my favorite examples of how Siri can be extended via shortcuts to support any web service without waiting for Apple or developers to add native Siri integrations. This shortcut is exclusive to Club Mac Stories members. Send payment for lunch. This shortcut is designed to take advantage of the native integration with SiriKit's payment domain. Using the new send payment action, this shortcut can leverage any compatible app, including Apple Wallet, to send a payment to someone in your address book. If you use Wallet, this will bring up the system UI to authorize a payment with Face ID or Touch ID. I created this shortcut thinking it could be useful to send money to someone who paid for lunch at a restaurant or a coffee shop nearby. At the beginning of the shortcut, you'll be asked to type the name of the place where you just had the lunch. The text is passed to the Search Local Businesses action, which uses the Apple Maps Point of Interest database to search for businesses nearby in a short radius. If multiple results are returned by Maps, you can pick from a list of local business results. Thanks to Magic Variables, we can use the name of the place in the note field of the payment alongside the current date. This way, the payment's recipient knows why they receive money from you. The send payment action should support both wallet and compatible third-party apps. You have the option to launch the app into the payment screen or process the payment within shortcuts. This shortcut is available for download in the shortcuts section of this review on the Mac Stories website. Search reminders for text. If you use Reminders, and perhaps a more powerful client for it such as GoodTask as your task manager, you can use this shortcut to filter reminders that contain a specific string of text in their note field. When writing this review, this was one of my most used widget shortcuts as it let me filter reminders that have been tagged with hashtag writing or hashtag editing in GoodTask. The search query is defined as a series of text strings in the first list action. Then the find reminders where action is used to search for reminders that have not been completed yet. Optionally, you can restrict the scope of this search to an individual reminders list. A second filtering action uses the note contains option to further filter reminders to return only those containing the keyword you listed. A repeat loop constructs a list of matching reminders, which are presented in an alert. This shortcut is best experienced as a widget as it can show you a subset of reminders in a way that isn't supported out of the box by the Reminders app. It's also a great demonstration of shortcuts native integration with the Reminders database and magic variables used to extract specific metadata for each reminder. You can download that shortcut from the Mac Stories website. Siri Newsreader. This is one of my favorite use cases for the show result action and Siri integration in shortcuts. By using the app's native RSS support, you can have Siri read you the latest headlines from your favorite blogs. 
The shortcut is relatively easy to assemble. Given an RSS feed URL, the Get Items from RSS Feed action can fetch a specific number of articles published on a blog, in this case the latest 15 posts. Then, for each item returned by the feed, the shortcut gets its title and appends it to a variable, leaving a blank line in between headlines. A custom introductory message is assembled in the show results action, reading the latest news from site name alongside the complete list of headlines. If you assign this shortcut to a custom phrase, you will then be able to issue a single command and let the assistant give you a personalized news brief where each article title will be read aloud. For instance, I used Apple Stories for the Mac Stories feed and Apple Scoops for 9to5Mac. This can be a great way to catch up on your favorite blogs while you're doing something else around the house, and it's particularly useful when summoned via the HomePod, which will read the headlines directly. This shortcut is another obvious example of the unique benefits of automation combined with Siri in iOS 12, and this shortcut is available for downloading from the Mac Stories website. Toggle Timers Another exclusive for Club Mac Stories members, this is a suite of time tracking shortcuts that use the Toggle web service to start a specific timer, stop one, and tell you how long a timer has been running. These shortcuts are adaptations of my original Toggle workflows, which I updated for shortcuts and tweaked so they can run entirely within Siri. You can trigger these shortcuts in the Shortcuts app or as widgets, but Siri is by far the fastest and most convenient way to enable them. When I was working on this review, I constantly used Siri to start a timer for my writing process, tell me how long I have been editing in a single session, or stop any currently running timer. While my toggle shortcuts would benefit from the ability to tell Siri which timer to start among multiple ones, more on this in a bit, I have set up multiple variations of the same shortcut, each of a different toggle project and custom phrase, and the system works well enough as long as I remember all my activation keywords. If you swear by time tracking like I do, you should consider installing these advanced toggle shortcuts, and they are exclusive to Club Mac Stories members. JavaScript video. I never thought I would end up writing small bits of JavaScript for my iOS automation setup, but the run JavaScript on web page action makes it easy to get started with scripts that alter the behavior of an underlying web page. There are three separate shortcuts that can modify the behavior of the iOS video player on a web page containing video. You can speed up the video's playback rate choosing from a list of multiple values, put the currently playing video in picture in picture, or force a custom video player to enter iOS's native full screen video playback mode. The first shortcut uses the playback rate property of JavaScript to slow down or speed up video playback. The other two leverage WebKit Presentation Mode API to enable native iOS video playback features. All these shortcuts have to be executed in Safari from the share sheet on a web page that has an embedded video. Once they run, you'll immediately notice changes to video playback as JavaScript can apply modifications in line without reloading the web page. I've used these shortcuts to force full screen on the YouTube.com website for iPad, as well as speed up WWDC session videos at 1.5x because the official WWDC app doesn't support adjustable video playback rates. Experienced JavaScript programmers will likely come up with more impressive shortcut ideas soon, but these should give you an idea of the power you can unlock with shortcuts running JS scripts in Safari, and you can download these shortcuts on the Mac Stories website in the shortcuts section of this review. Markup multiple screenshots. Based on the get latest screenshots action in a repeat loop, this shortcut allows you to select multiple screenshots, annotate each one, and delete the original version from the Photos app in a single workflow. 
As you'll see in the video on the website, the markup action loads the native system markup mode to modify images using various annotation tools and shapes. What I especially like about this shortcut is the fact that you can decide to save each modified version as a new image in the local photos library or share it with app extensions without saving it. The ability to delete each original screenshot or keep it alongside the edited version is just a cherry on the top. And this is downloadable from the Mac Stories website. Morning routine. The most complex shortcut I created for this review is also the one I've been consistently running every morning soon after waking up. Thanks to a variety of integrations of native iOS frameworks, web APIs, and third-party apps, the morning routine shortcut gives me a complete overview of the day ahead while I'm making breakfast. It also provides a welcome dose of inspiration to get started with the day. At a high level, this is what the morning routine shortcut does with one seamless Siri command. It tells me how much I slept thanks to Shortcut's health integration, turns on my espresso maker via HomeKit, gives me the current outside temperature and daily forecast powered by the Dark Sky API, turns on the living room lights, shows me calendar events for the day, lists all my overdue and scheduled reminders for the day, reads the latest news from my favorite tech blogs, presents an inspiring quote of the day, brings up a native word of the day shortcut provided by the Daily Dictionary app, and resumes playback of my overcast queue. Essentially, I wanted to replicate all the actions I tend to perform each morning and group them under a single Siri command. Allow me to highlight some of the key details behind this shortcut. Both dark sky and sleep data are fetched by running external shortcuts as functions inside morning routine. The dark sky shortcut is the same one I covered above. The asleep times shortcut is a new one, which you can download from the Mac Stories website, and it can be run both in standalone mode or as a function inside other shortcuts. When it's invoked as a function, the asleep times shortcut knows it doesn't have to bring up any alerts, but just pass text back to Siri. The natural language part of the shortcut, the way Siri uses different punctuation or singular or plural nouns, was assembled manually via multiple if blocks and count actions. This technique, such as using event if only one event is occurring on the current day, or reminders followed by a colon if multiple tasks are due, allows for a nicer presentation that can scale to different languages as well. Lastly, while tech news and the quote of the day are fetched via RSS feeds, the word of the day and podcast playback actions are based on native Siri shortcuts from third-party apps. As you can see towards the end of the shortcut, the daily dictionary shortcut has show when run enabled, but the same toggle is turned off in the overcast action. This way, Siri can wait to display the app's word snippet and speak its response without pausing the first show result action. And because the overcast shortcut can just start playback in the background, we don't need to see its UI. You should also notice how, despite having multiple show result actions, two of them plus the response from Daily Dictionary, Siri just keeps talking without any interruptions. My end goal with this shortcut was to let Siri speak things I want to know in the morning back to me while I started to make breakfast, ending with podcast playback through the latest version of Overcast. It took me a while to put this shortcut together, but I'm extremely happy with the finished product as it showcases some of Shortcut's best system integrations, which weren't possible before iOS 12. You can get that shortcut as well from the Mac Stories website. What's missing from Shortcuts? It wouldn't be iOS automation coverage on Mac Stories if I didn't include a list of features that haven't been implemented yet. Here are some of the features missing from Shortcuts and ideas I'd like Apple to explore in the future. User interaction with Siri. 
As I remarked above, this is perhaps the most notably absent feature from shortcuts today. To run entirely within Siri, your custom shortcuts have to omit all kinds of user interaction. Siri already features the ability to let users confirm requests, offer additional information, or choose one among multiple items in a list. Shortcuts running inside of Siri should provide the same options. Automatic triggers for shortcuts. Despite shortcuts' powerful new integrations, it's still not possible to make specific shortcuts run automatically in the background when certain conditions are met. You can't, for example, run a shortcut when a calendar event is due, or at a specific time of the day, or when you leave a location. Whether from the app, the widget, or Siri, shortcuts always have to be manually triggered by the user. What I argued for Do Not Disturb holds true for shortcuts as well. I'd love it if the app could react to different environmental or operating system triggers and run automations on the user's behalf. Utilities such as Launch Center Pro, Launcher, and IFTTT implemented similar options in the past. Shortcuts should do the same, with even deeper system integrations and more intelligence built in. Passing input arguments to a shortcut via voice. Wouldn't it be great if you could pass a sentence as input text when running a shortcut via Siri? Take the pay for lunch example above. If instead of just saying pay lunch, I could say pay lunch to Stephen, and shortcuts can understand that to Stephen is a variable and match it against a contact. The same shortcut could automatically fill the contact name without requiring me to pick one from my address book. Similarly, I could say start timer Mac stories and start timer podcasts to trigger a shortcut that identifies a part of the sentence as dynamic input text. This is a tough one to pull off, but I'm confident the shortcuts team can come up with a reliable and elegant solution for it. Folders for better organization. I think it's incredible that four years after Workflow came out, the Shortcuts app still can't organize shortcuts in folders. As someone with hundreds of shortcuts, I'm disappointed and surprised that Apple didn't prioritize this feature for the relaunch of the app. Some actions have been removed. As of the latest version of Shortcuts, Workflow's old edit image and IFTTT actions have been removed, causing incompatibility issues with old Workflows migrated to the new app. No access to the entire iCloud Drive file system. The new Shortcuts app leverages a handful of private entitlements that third-party apps can't use. Surprisingly, giving users the ability to read any file from their iCloud Drive or save items to any iCloud folder isn't one of them. If you don't want to use the manual document picker or Dropbox, Shortcuts is still limited to reading files from and saving them to the sandboxed slash shortcuts folder in iCloud Drive. I understand the security concerns with letting Shortcuts read data from other apps directories without showing a user interface, but this is an old problem that Apple has already fixed on macOS with permission prompts and sandboxing rules. Shortcuts should gain the ability to access any iCloud Drive location with a similar permission-first approach, if only just to read files from other folders. Bring back the Watch app. Unlike Workflow, Shortcuts no longer comes with a native watchOS app. Your custom shortcuts will be suggested on the Siri watch face, and you'll be able to run them from there, but there's no way to bring up a list of all the shortcuts you'd like to run on the watch anymore. Even though the original Workflow app for the watch wasn't great, I'm sure Apple could create something much better by taking advantage of private APIs on watchOS 5. Furthermore, a proper watch app would allow for shortcuts complications for any watch face besides the Siri one. I hope the watch app comes back soon. AirPlay 2 and HomePod actions. 
Finally, Shortcuts would make for an incredible tool to create automated workflows that control music and podcasts on specific HomePods and other AirPlay 2 devices in your house. Alas, AirPlay 2 continues to be a manual control-only affair in iOS 12, as Shortcuts doesn't offer any actions to automate connections to individual devices or groups of speakers. You can use Siri to control audio playback on individual AirPlay 2 devices. I'd like to do the same with Shortcuts. The Future of Automation and the Programmable Assistant Even though they share the same name, Siri Shortcuts and the Shortcuts app have different implications for the future of Siri and automation on iOS. Considered individually, they provide a progressive path for users, from simple, convenient shortcuts to more advanced automation. Together, they herald a fundamentally different vision for user automation on Apple platforms. Whether they're suggested in search or requested from Siri with a personalized phrase, native app shortcuts are a form of lightweight automation presented through the lens of proactive assistance. Apple has very cleverly leveraged existing technologies as the foundation of shortcuts, building a system on top of them that can now understand user habits and suggest actions at the most appropriate time. In my experience with iOS 12 for the past three months, I've interacted with shortcuts suggested in search often, multiple times a day. I've begun to recognize patterns that iOS 12 has learned about me, such as calling my parents around lunchtime or checking out my scheduled reminders list in the evening. And I've appreciated the separation between shortcuts recommended in search and more timely ones pushed to the lock screen. For a first effort, this system works well. The ability to assign custom phrases to shortcuts may have single-handedly altered iOS users' perception of Siri as an app platform. In a single move, Apple has opened up Siri integration to all kinds of apps that didn't or couldn't, for technical reasons, support the SiriKit API before. Now every app action, from launching a specific screen to retrieving a piece of content or performing a background task, is eligible for Siri integration in every permutation of the Assistant on every Apple device. From a usability standpoint, this has significant ramifications for accessibility too. It enables every user, independent from their iOS proficiency or motor skills, to use Siri as a bridge between their needs and apps. It also means that users can develop their own custom Siri dialect over time, much like they would of an actual assistant. For developers, Shortcuts represents an opportunity to extend their apps across the entire Apple ecosystem with varying degrees of customization. I've been pleasantly surprised by the fast adoption of Shortcuts and custom Siri intents by my favorite apps. Going forward, I expect Apple to continue expanding its custom intent technology in an effort to further open up Siri to thousands more app integrations. This strategy is unlike anything we've seen from Amazon or Google. It revolves around Apple's most valuable platform asset, the App Store, and leverages the unique strengths of iOS, a secure sandboxing model, on-device processing to protect users' privacy, and the simplicity of installing apps. While native app shortcuts are an ingenious spin on automation presented in the context of simple proactive recommendations, the Shortcuts app embodies the workflow team's vision for rethinking complex automation, now under Apple's guidance. There's no way around it. The relaunch of workflow as shortcuts is a resounding success for everyone involved. The workflow team was able to execute on their idea of automation as a visual programming tool for everyone. In return, existing workflow users have gotten a much more powerful, stable, and actively developed automation app that can now be used to save even more time by controlling Siri itself. 
Questions remain as to whether average users will be interested in the features offered by Shortcuts, but Apple has done a remarkable job in making it easy to get started, with hundreds of pre-built Shortcuts, and expanding the scope of workflow to system features that everybody can understand, such as Do Not Disturb and personalized Siri phrases. And even if Shortcuts continues to be popular among advanced iOS users only, well, the company made sure there's plenty of new power to be unlocked for those customers too, thanks to JavaScript, customizable Siri responses, and support for app shortcuts. Of all the new features in the Shortcuts app, the ability to run custom shortcuts inside Siri is truly transformative. It reshapes iOS automation as we know it. With custom phrases, remote UIs, and background execution, bundles of actions become single commands that can augment and personalize Siri in ways that weren't possible before. Thanks to shortcuts, Siri can now read the news for you, interact with any web API, retrieve data from multiple apps at once, and so much more. In shortcuts, native app actions become headless extensions for Siri, programmed by users without coding. We're going to look back on the workflow acquisition as one of Apple's wisest moves in recent years. In one fell swoop, they've sidestepped the issues of slow-growing Siri integrations and put the power to extend Siri into the hands of users, all while providing a mature automation suite that connects hundreds of system and app actions together. With shortcuts, user automation on Apple platforms is growing beyond the niche of scripting. It's embracing the present and doing so in a way that only Apple can. Chapter 7, Apps Improvements to Apple's suite of built-in apps are more pronounced in iOS 12 compared to last year. From a full-blown iBooks relaunch to redesigned apps and even a brand new pre-installed one, iOS 12 makes for a fascinating exploration of Apple's native software in 2018. Safari With Safari enjoying a relative level of maturity in terms of user-facing features, Apple has started branching out into more aggressive adoption of new web technologies and system functionalities related to Safari, but not exclusive to the browser. Aside from one notable cosmetic improvement, this year is no different. iCloud Keychain iOS's built-in account management and password generation tool, iCloud Keychain, is turning into one of the most interesting areas of focus for Apple, and I'm surprised it hasn't evolved into a standalone Keychain app yet. iOS 12 brings a substantial update to iCloud Keychain, which is now located in Settings, Password and Accounts, Website and App Passwords. This is why I think it should be a separate app. You'll immediately notice that the password list has been redesigned to accommodate website icons, which improves visual clarity and helps in finding your favorite websites more quickly. The other noticeable change is a password reuse warning icon that highlights accounts with a password that you've reused somewhere else. When you tap on a domain of a warning next to it, you'll be taken to the redesigned account screen that shows your username, password, and a message that lists the other websites where you've reused the same password. If iCloud Keychain detects a password you've reused elsewhere, it'll include a Change Password on Website button that you can tap to open Safari View Controller for the selected website so you can log into your account and change your password. In my experience of this feature, I found the warning useful, especially for old accounts I created years ago before I started religiously creating robust passwords for each of my accounts. I wish it was possible to mark certain passwords as safe despite being on different domains. For example, my Amazon.it account is shared with my Amazon.co.uk account as well, and iOS 12 presents a warning for it. But I'm just nitpicking at this point. For the vast majority of use cases, having a password reuse warning built into the system password manager is a fantastic idea. 
Other improvements to the password screen include the ability to tap a plus button in the main list to create new login credentials for a website from settings. Additionally, you can tap and hold an account to bring up buttons to copy its username or password. Furthermore, iOS 12 lets you tap and hold passwords to share them with devices nearby via AirDrop. The most important addition to iCloud Keychain in iOS 12, however, isn't about what's already stored in it, but how you can save new logins with strong and unique passwords. Save new passwords. After allowing users to easily log into their accounts in third-party apps with iOS 11's password autofill for apps, Apple is extending the technology in iOS 12 to the next logical step, creating new accounts in apps using password autofill and saving those credentials into iCloud Keychain during the sign-up process. As if last year's autofill, account and password creations in apps require iCloud Keychain to be enabled and only works with the Apple QuickType keyboard. Password Autofill uses advanced heuristics to detect login and password fields, even in apps that haven't been updated for iOS 12 or Autofill specifically. Also, in order to suggest an email address or username to use for a new account, iCloud Keychain needs to have at least one item already in it, and the Autofill Passwords toggle has to be enabled in Settings, Passwords, and Accounts. If all these requirements are met, when you hit a login screen of a username or password fields, Password Autofill will suggest existing accounts in the QuickType bar like before. When only one login item is available for the current website, Password Autofill has an elegant new look with a minimized panel at the bottom of the screen that contains a large button to log into a website with the last account you used, plus buttons to switch to the keyboard and view other accounts. If iOS 12 detects a sign-up screen instead, the system will first check the eligibility of the app's associated domain, and upon recognizing a password field, it'll automatically create a strong and unique password. Password Autofill will ask if you want to accept the suggested strong password and save it in iCloud Keychain. iOS 12 gives you the option to type your own password too, but the Use Strong Password button is the one selected by default, and it's presented as a compelling option. The password will be saved in iCloud Keychain, used by Autofill on your devices, and made available for search via Settings and Siri for free. After accepting a strong password recommendation, iOS 12 will bring up another prompt to save the password in iCloud Keychain. The entire workflow is seamless and perfectly integrated with iOS and doesn't involve a web browser at all. In my tests with apps that hadn't been updated for iOS 12, but which supported last year's password autofill, password creation worked flawlessly. From a technical standpoint, there are a couple of interesting things occurring behind the scenes. Suggested usernames are based on credentials you have already stored in iCloud Keychain, which means the more accounts you keep in your Keychain, the more suggestions for different usernames you'll get over time. Also, Apple is letting developers define their custom password rules for autofill if the service requires certain types or sequences of characters. These rules can be embedded in UIKit as descriptors for secure text input fields, and they can be formatted for HTML too. When password autofills is a custom password rule embedded in an app or web page, it'll create a strong password that can match those rules to be compatible with the password field's requirements. Apple has even created a password validation tool for developers available on the web. Account and password creation inside apps was the last mile of iCloud Keychain and password autofill, and Apple has provided an elegant, secure, and effortless solution to this in iOS 12. While the company is also opening up a password manager API to third parties, having a free default option that supports an end-to-end account creation flow is extremely important for users. 
Apple's goal with iCloud Keychain and Password Autofill has always been removing the complexity inherent to password management by letting the system take care of it. Creating and saving new passwords from apps was an obvious challenge left to take on. The solution offered by iOS 12 is thoughtful, secure, and well integrated throughout the experience. Security Code Autofill In one of my favorite touches of iOS 12, Apple has extended its autofill technology to support two-factor authentication codes sent via SMS. It works like magic. When you're logging into a website or app and receive a code via SMS in messages, the quick type bar will instantly show you a button with that code that you can tap to autofill. In Apple's words, they want to remove the indignity of typing a security code yourself. We've all been there. The constant switching back and forth between an app and messages to take a look at the code, getting the code wrong by one number, and having to open messages again. All of this is gone in iOS 12, and it makes using SMS-based two-factor authentication so much better than before. Under the hood, security code autofill employs advanced data detectors to infer codes contained in messages in all the locales supported by the QuickType's predictive input. It's only available for the QuickType keyboard, and Apple says they've run hundreds of tests for authentication messages at the most popular websites and online services to ensure perfect compatibility everywhere. To confirm that a security code has been recognized in messages, you can tap on its message bubble if it's underlined and you'll see a new copy code button. While SMS-based two-factor authentication may be vulnerable to SIM hacking, it is sometimes the only option for websites that do not integrate with authenticated apps such as Google Authenticator and 1Password. Until Apple starts offering their own app-based security code generator, who knows, maybe next year, easier code autofill with messages and the QuickType keyboard is an excellent addition to iOS's password and login management features iCloud Keychain and Password Autofill have become the best reasons to keep using Safari and Apple's QuickType keyboard on iOS. With logins and strong password creation now available for every website and third-party app, iOS 12 offers a comprehensive suite of security tools for account management and password retrieval. For most people, iCloud Keychain is now a valid and powerful alternative to 1Password, and it's great to see Apple iterating on it for every major release. Password Manager API In the spirit of simplifying password management for users, Apple is also opening up password autofill in iOS 12 to third-party password managers. While it doesn't offer the same features of iCloud Keychain, this is a significant acknowledgement of the importance of password managers made by third-party developers. Let's go over the limitations of the API first. Third-party password managers have to be enabled manually by users in settings, passwords, and accounts. Autofill passwords allow filling from. The process of enabling a password manager is fairly clunky and reminiscent of adding a custom keyboard to iOS. As is the case with third-party keyboards, in fact, developers can't bring up a native screen to enable a system-wide password manager from inside their apps. Even worse, they can't direct users to the specific page of settings where third-party password managers can be activated. You can expect to see a lot of in-app tutorials on how to enable autofill for password managers in iOS 12. Furthermore, autofill for third-party password managers only supports filling existing logins. The ability to save new accounts and generate strong passwords is exclusive to iCloud Keychain in iOS 12. Similarly, security code autofill is only available for the Messages app. Third-party password managers can't fill their two-factor authentication codes in compatible fields. That said, as someone who uses both iCloud Keychain and 1Password, I find this initial support for third-party password managers to be a welcome change of mind by Apple. 
Limitations notwithstanding, the ability to see login items stored in apps such as 1Password or secrets in the system's QuickType keyboard is exceptional. The integration couldn't be more intuitive. After enabling a password manager for autofill, you'll gain multiple options in the list of available passwords you can open by tapping the key button in password autofill. Choosing a third-party app from the list lets you authenticate with the app by opening its UI as an extension. Unlike custom keyboards, you can't leave multiple password managers enabled at the same time. Only one can be active in addition to Apple's iCloud keychain. A login from the password manager you've used most recently will be suggested as the primary item of autofill in QuickType. Other login items will also be included in the full list of available passwords. You can recognize suggestions from third-party password managers because they carry the app's name next to them. In my tests with secrets and one password this summer, having my passwords readily available in the system keyboard turned out to be a superior experience than opening the share sheet and launching an action extension. It's the best of both worlds. I can fill logins from the keyboard with a couple of taps and I can use data I've been storing in a third-party password manager for years. Unlike custom keyboards, the API is reliable and I never experienced a single crash. As a long-time 1Password user, the app support for the QuickType keyboard in iOS 12 makes for one of its best system integrations to date. Upon first setting up the extension in settings, a step that always brings up a confirmation screen from the associated app, you'll be asked if you want to turn on notifications for one-time codes. This is how 1Password circumvents QuickType's lack of native filling for two-factor authentication codes. Upon selecting an account to fill a login in an app or web page, the 1Password extension will copy its temporary six-digit code in the background. As in the Mac version of the app, you'll receive a notification informing you that the code has been copied to the system clipboard. If you have two-factor authentication enabled for your most important web accounts, and you really should, 1Password's new autofill extension provides the most powerful and convenient login flow I've ever seen on iOS. It's better than the old extension as it lives in the keyboard itself, and it's superior to Apple's iCloud keychain because it supports one-time authentication codes. Apple might as well design this API for 1Password alone. There's another aspect worth considering. Because third-party password managers integrate directly with Apple's autofill engine, it means they also benefit from the work Apple does to recognize login fields in apps and web pages. With the old action extension approach, developers had to do the work of identifying usernames and password fields themselves. With this new API, Apple's heuristics take care of the process, so most apps and websites will work out of the box for third-party password managers too. In future versions of this API, I'd love to see full feature parity between iCloud Keychain and third-party password managers. I should be able to let 1Password generate strong passwords for me and save new account information into the app. At the very least, iOS should automatically fill one-time two-factor authentication codes using third-party apps given the lack of support for this option in iCloud Keychain. Despite these limitations, I applaud Apple's decision to extend a hand to third-party password managers in iOS 12. The result is a more streamlined login process with the freedom to use the password manager you prefer. Along with security code autofill, this is one of my favorite surprises in iOS 12. Intelligent Tracking Prevention 2.0 Introduced last year as a machine learning powered classifier to automatically block privacy intruding web trackers, intelligent tracking prevention is getting stronger and smarter in iOS 12. In addition to regular trackers, intelligent tracker prevention can now identify share, like, and comment buttons that are often repurposed as cross-site trackers once you're logged into the social network they belong to. If intelligent tracking prevention is enabled, iOS 12 will block these trackers by default. When you want to use them, Safari will request permission to see your activities on the third-party site. 
With this approach, users should see fewer retargeted ads served by social networks when they're browsing the web in Safari, which I believe is good because those ads are creepy and users have no idea how much they're being tracked across websites. Additionally, intelligent tracking prevention has been updated to counteract the practice known as fingerprinting. As it turns out, many websites these days can read your system configuration and list of installed fonts and use those data points not only for presenting a web page, which should be the only purpose, but also to build a profile of your device. That profile can be used by ad companies to track you across the web and serve you targeted ads. Again, most users have no idea this is happening. I had no idea before Apple explained this. And Safari wants to help users regain the privacy they're entitled to. In iOS 12, Intelligent Tracking Prevention purposely presents your device for a simplified configuration profile that also omits your list of custom installed fonts. This way, more iOS devices will look identical to trackers, and you should stop seeing those pesky ads that follow you on every website you visit. Extras. There are a couple other features I'd like to highlight in Safari for iOS 12. Favicons in tabs. No, I can't believe it either. After years of lacking one of the features that was pushing users towards Google Chrome, Apple is finally allowing Safari to display website icons, also known as favicons, in tabs. The feature needs to be enabled under settings Safari show icons in tabs, and it's supported on both iOS and macOS. On iPad, icons are always shown in tabs except when Safari is running in a compact size class. On iPhone, icons are only visible in landscape or compatible models or in tab view. As someone who's been jealous of tab icons in Chrome for a long time, I'm thrilled to see Apple supporting them on all their platforms now. I think icons help a lot when dealing with multiple open tabs, and they add a bit of color to Safari, which is fun. New keyboard shortcuts. iOS 12 supports a series of new keyboard shortcuts in Safari for iPad that aren't advertised in the UI. Here's a list. Go to tab with command 1 to 9, so command 1 will take you to the first tab, command 2 to the second tab, etc. Command control 1 will show bookmarks, command control 2 will show your reading list, command control 3 will show your history, you can add bookmarks with command D, you can see your previous reading list item with command option up arrow, and next reading list item with command option down arrow. I don't know why Apple isn't showing these shortcuts in the discoverability overlay, but it's good to see more consistencies with the Max counterpart of Safari. Every year I praise Safari as Apple's crown jewel. In iOS 12, Safari continues leading the industry in terms of password management and privacy-first design. Given our current times, I think those features are exactly what Apple should be focusing on. Books. I'm not an avid book reader, so I won't rehash what Ryan has already written in his in-depth analysis of Apple Books, the rebranded and redesigned version of iBooks launching in iOS 12. Even as someone who's only somewhat interested in reading digital books, I want to highlight a few aspects of the Books app that stood out to me. Visually speaking, Apple Books is striking. The company could have modeled books after Apple Music and the App Store like they did for podcasts last year, and it would have been regarded as a successful redesign. But Apple Books goes much farther than that. The entire app exudes a genuine passion for books and literature. Every single section of the app has been reimagined and rebuilt from the ground up with design choices and navigational improvements that apply some of the design principles of Apple Music and the App Store in a way specifically meant for books and reading. The app is heavy on typography, as an interface element that lays out sections and subheadings. Apple went as far as creating a new serif flavor of San Francisco for the occasion. In the new bookstore and audiobooks tabs, books pop open as modal cards that use black on white buttons to hint at interactivity, but that also help put the focus on the book's colorful covers. 
The way these cards look and behave is superior to similar implementations in music and the App Store, as they're easier to operate with one hand. Now that I've played with Apple Books for a few weeks, I want other Apple apps to copy some of its traits. Browsing the new store is a pleasure, even if you don't read much. Apple's editorial team has assembled a roster of collections, featured items, subsections, and top charts that are thoughtfully intermixed with algorithmic recommendations based on your previous purchases. This type of curation is different from the more dynamic and magazine-like approach of the App Store. There are no stories here, but it's effective in guiding you across new releases, classics, and books suggested by critics. From an organization standpoint, the restructuring of books around the Reading Now page makes perfect sense. The book you've been reading most recently is featured right at the top of the Reading Now view. In a delightful return of some parts of skeuomorphic design, it's visualized as a 3D book for the first time in years. The new Want to Read feature also enables it curating a smaller selection of books you'd like to get to in the near future. Recommendations based on your purchase history are only available toward the lower end of the page, another sensible decision that underlines the importance of being able to continue reading where you left off. The main page of books feels less like a file manager and more like a personal shelf, without having to employ the actual visual metaphor of a realistic shelf. It's a correct application of Apple's mantra that design is how it works. There is so much more to explore in the new books app, particularly when it comes to its many beautiful design touches like the icon work and subtle use of drop shadows. These are phenomenal. But like I said above, I'd prefer you to check out Ryan's exploration of the app, which you can find on the Mac Stories website. What I can say about books is that even though the reading experience hasn't changed, everything around it makes me want to start reading again. I'm drawn to Apple Books in a way I never was to Amazon's Kindle app. I feel compelled to explore the new store, check out editors' recommendations, and get back into the habit of reading books that I lost several years ago. Apple Books is further confirmation that Apple isn't kidding with their media strategy, and it's an outstanding relaunch for iBooks. Measure. It wouldn't be a new iOS release without a new case of Sherlocking iOS 12 delivers on this front with Measure, Apple's response to the popular category of ARKit-powered measurement apps. Measure is a new pre-installed iOS app that supports every device where ARKit is available. As its name suggests, the app lets you measure the length and surface of objects around you using augmented reality. As with other ARKit utilities, when you open the app, you'll have to go through an initial calibration process that asks you to move your device around a little so it can understand your surroundings. Once the camera has found a compatible surface to measure, the app will display a selection tool to add a first point in space. It should be noted that Measure does a great job at suggesting points where you can start a measurement, such as the edges of objects, by almost magnetically attaching the point until you move farther away from the suggestion, which isn't communicated with a label, but it's easy to understand. When you place a point with the plus button, it creates a line that you can drag around until you find a second point to finish the measurement and view how long an object is. Length is previewed in real time across the line, and once you're done, you can tap on the result box in the middle of the line, which will open a handy pop-up containing values in metric and imperial units that you can copy to the clipboard. In terms of AR design, Apple has done a remarkable job of measure, even in the smallest details of the experience. When you place a point, you'll feel a haptic tap. Similarly, when you point the camera at an existing point or unit of measurement, you'll feel another tap, and the selection tool snaps to the item you're pointing at. The combination of haptic feedback and automatic selection makes interacting with the app feel natural and fun. The animations when you tap on a unit to enlarge the details pop up are well done, and it's especially impressive to see these interface elements animate in the physical world. 
There are other features worth mentioning in the Measure app. The Level tool, previously available in Compass, has now been integrated into Measure as a second tab at the bottom. More importantly, Measure can also take advantage of ARKit's improved shape recognition in iOS 12 to detect rectangles inside objects. These could be posters, computer displays, documents, or anything that contains a rectangular shape recognized by ARKit. When a shape is recognized, Measure previews it directly onto the object and allows you to add a rectangle, which will let you check the length of each side as well as the total surface area. Now I know that one side of a split view on my iPad Pro is 228 square centimeters. Measure doesn't offer all the advanced options and settings we've seen in competing apps such as MeasureKit and Tape Measure. It is, however, a great introduction for iOS users to ARKit, a technology that Apple is betting heavily on, which lacked a proper system showcase until today. Measure may not be a revolutionary idea a year after the debut of ARKit, but I found it reliable and easy to use, and it's important for Apple to start showing what they can build with ARKit. Camera. Improvements to the camera app in iOS 12 are all about enhancing portrait mode and depth capture for photo and video. iOS 12 introduces a new API called Portrait Segmentation. This technology allows for the separation of layers in a photo from foreground to the background in a way that is more accurate and with more support for finer details than the depth API launched in iOS 11. Portrait segmentation is available for the front and rear-facing cameras on devices that can capture portrait photos, and it's only available when people are in the scene. With the Portrait Segmentation API, iOS 12 can generate a new type of depth map called a Portrait Effect Mat. The mat is a high-quality mask for a person in the foreground of a portrait shot that works better than regular disparity maps for details such as hair. Unlike depth data, which is always made available to apps that use depth API, when capturing photos, the effect mat may or may not be available. As a consequence of these improvements, portrait lighting is officially out of beta in iOS 12, and Apple claims that certain effects such as stage light and stage light mono are vastly improved from iOS 11. Although not perfect yet and perhaps still behind some aspects of the computational photography of Pixel phones, I have found portrait mode to be markedly better in iOS 12 compared to last year. If you're dealing with a good portrait shot, the stage light effects are actually possible now, particularly the mono flavor. I'm not a professional photographer, but I think portrait mode generally does a better job at separating hair from the background now, resulting in more pleasing and eye-catching shots. Opening up the Depth API last year has led to the creation of some incredible portrait-enabled third-party apps. I can't wait to see what developers do with the new segmentation API. Finally, a quick note on the True Depth camera. In iOS 12, Apple is allowing third-party apps to read a real-time stream of 2D and 3D depth data captured by the front-facing True Depth camera. With this new API, developers can access a stream of information that determines the proximity of pixels to the true depth camera, thus enabling the segmentation of background and foreground in real-time video. Although I haven't been able to test any examples of this functionality besides the demo app provided by Apple, I believe we're going to see several apps take advantage of it to offer clips-like backdrop features that put you in a virtual scene when capturing a video. If the results are anything like Clips, True Depth, Real-Time Filters, this category of apps will become one to closely watch over the next few months. Photos. With over a trillion photos captured on iOS devices every year, changes to the Photos app are always poised to reach an audience other system apps can only dream of. 
In iOS 12, Apple is focused on rethinking how sharing photos of other people should work. At the same time, they've also shipped substantial improvements to search and brought multiple features together under a new For You page. For You. The new For You tab in the Photos app acts as a unified dashboard for sharing suggestions, memories, activity from shared albums, and more. It replaces the Memories tab, originally launched in iOS 10. Memories are still available as a feature of For You and continuously created by iOS in the background, and they're presented at the top of the page as well. The new For You page isn't just a collection of old features grouped under a different name, though. Featured photos and effect suggestions are two of the new sections of photos available in For You. The effects suggestions section, true to its name, scans your photo library and recommends specific effects to apply to individual photos. It is somewhat similar to the functionality of the Google Assistant in Google Photos, but it's less aggressive in the sheer number of suggestions it recommends. You're going to see a handful of suggestions a week, and that's about it. Effect suggestions can range from recommendations to turn a live photo into a loop, to specific portrait lighting effect suggestions and even long exposure ones. It's not clear how photos determines the best effect for a photo, but results in my experience have been mixed. In my tests, recommendations for loops and studio light effects were accurate and helped improve the original photos considerably. However, the frequent stage light and long exposure recommendations left much to be desired. Stage light suggestions often felt like an act of overconfidence in the new system for photos that didn't really deserve such treatment. Suggestions for long exposure effects generally consisted of taking a live photo with tons of movement and making it blurry. The effect didn't necessarily improve the original photo, especially for subjects such as pets or kids that aren't a good fit for long exposure. Your mileage with effect suggestions may vary. My favorite aspect of this feature is that you can preview effects before you actually apply them. I've been more satisfied with the photos suggested in the Featured Photos section of For You. According to Apple, Featured Photos surfaces the best photos from your library, along with photos taken on this day in previous years. In my experience, this section has turned out to be a well-thought-out combination of the old on-this-day memories, along with new algorithmic recommendations for great shots. These tend to include photos that are well-lit, good portrait shots, photos where people are smiling or laughing, and your favorites. Again, I'm not sure exactly how the algorithm is supposed to work, but I think Featured Photos does a better job at bringing up interesting photos from your library than Effect Suggestions does with its job. Unifying the Memories feature, which is unchanged in iOS 12, with highlights of featured photos and effect suggestions should help make the For You tab a one-stop destination for discovery of photos worth checking out again. I believe, however, that Photos' new intelligent sharing features are going to be the reason why people will visit For You and perhaps even convince their family and friends to sign up for iCloud Photo Library. Sharing Let's start with the bad news first. iCloud Photo Library still doesn't support shared libraries among family members, and it's lagging behind Google Photos when it comes to sharing an entire library with your partner. It's disappointing that Apple still has an integrated iCloud Photo Library with family sharing, which I still hope will be remedied next year. That said, Photos in iOS 12 comes with new sharing features that offer a decent compromise between full library sharing and traditional album-based sharing. The key functionality is sharing suggestions. This is a feature that automatically suggests sharing collections of photos with people in your contacts who have been recognized in them. Sharing suggestions are presented as a swipeable gallery of memories and events that you can share with people you've already tagged in the people area of the Photos app. 
To make sharing suggestions work, Apple uses on-device machine learning and facial recognition to analyze photos, understand what you're doing and who you're with, and suggest sharing subsets of photos from your library with them. If you use iCloud Photo Library, photos are shared at full resolution. Moreover, thanks to iCloud Photo Library's CloudKit infrastructure, photos are shared immediately with no additional uploads necessary. The kinds of sharing suggestions you see in photos will vary greatly. There are suggestions based on being somewhere with someone at the same time, so photos will suggest sharing these images with them even if the person's face isn't in all of the photos. There are event-based suggestions to understand public events such as concerts and help you share photos with friends you went with. And there are group-based multi-day suggestions that let you share hundreds of photos at once with dozens of participants, as was the case for a recent wedding that I went to. The best way to think of sharing suggestions is as memories with facial recognition sprinkled on top. Collections of photos are generated similarly to memories based on time, location, and activity, but iOS can also recommend sharing them with someone who was recognized in those photos. The fact that you can tap the share button on a regular memory and end up with the same system, facial recognition for recipient suggestions, and the same sharing screen is telling. When it comes to sharing, sharing suggestions are memories surfaced by photos, but in a new way. As far as how sharing itself works, there are a few controls you can tweak. If you're viewing a sharing suggestion, an ellipsis button in the top right lets you add a suggestion to your memories, play the movie associated with it, or remove the sharing suggestion altogether. If you're viewing a memory, you get the same options of iOS 11 with the addition of share photos, which brings up the same sharing screen. If you pay attention when you share a memory that wasn't already suggested by the app, you can see a share with friends turn into share with the person's name, as Photos runs facial recognition to find people in the selected photos. After selecting which photos you want to share, you'll see a list where you can confirm the people you're going to be sharing photos with. To initiate sharing of individuals or groups of people, you can only do so with messages. After confirming everything, photos will generate a message bubble for a shared album that will expire after a month. In the Messages app, you can tap the bubble to open a native photos view to preview individual photos, stop sharing the album, and copy a share.icloud.com link to it. On their end, recipients can accept the shared album to add it to their libraries and share back other photos. I have mixed feelings about the new photo sharing features in iOS 12. The initial surfacing of suggestions and sharing of other people is done well. iOS 12 can recognize interesting events, locations, and people who are with you when you took a picture on a specific day. There is a bit of management involved, such as manually removing screenshots, which I don't think photos should include in sharing suggestions. But overall, the first half of the sharing process is solid. The integration with facial recognition, iCloud-based sharing, and iMessage speaks to Apple's unique platform strengths. The second half of sharing is where everything surprisingly falls apart, as if Apple kind of forgot to finish building this feature. When you share a collection of photos of another person or group of people, iOS 12 prompts them to share back other associated photos with you. The idea is sound. To make sure that everybody ends up with interesting photos from each other, the system takes care of sharing back and forth between people, suggesting photos to each other based on the same sharing criteria. Except that's not how it really works. For instance, after sharing a subset of WWDC photos with Mike and John from June 9 and 10, iOS 12 prompted John to share back with me photos from the entire week instead of two days only, featuring his kids, who were also in San Jose, other common friends, and also a bunch of screenshots. Those people were not included in my initial set of shared photos, 
The system performed even worse on Mike's iPhone. After tapping the share back button, available once a shared album is accepted, both in the Photos app and Messages, he was presented with the option to share photos from the entire week with seven people who had been recognized in them. He was also given the option to share the same picture I had previously shared of him because he had a copy on his device and Photos doesn't perform any deduplication. Basically, it may be called share back, but the feature lacks the smarts to send back photos that are relevant to just the initial set. Photos should suggest recipients share back photos from the same dates featuring the same people. It's not really sharing back with someone if the new photos are from different days and with different people in them. Furthermore, when someone shares photos back with you and you accept them, the new items don't contribute to the same pool of photos you originally shared. They end up in a separate shared album under the recently shared view of photos, as if they're not related to the first shared collection at all. It's a shame that Apple ended up with a half-baked implementation of intelligent photo sharing in iOS 12. I genuinely believe that the underlying idea is a good one. Letting the system figure out what to share and with whom removes friction from remembering to share photos and choosing recipients. The first part of the photos process is already smart enough, and I've been using sharing suggestions to share photos with family and friends more frequently than before. The problem is that I can't share with the expectation that other people will respond with other relevant photos. The vision behind sharing and sharing back is only partially realized in iOS 12, a surprising blunder for an otherwise ingenious and useful feature. Search Thankfully, Apple did much better in Photos' search department. The new search tab presents itself as a data-rich page featuring moments automatically categorized through machine learning, people, places, categories of photos also powered by artificial intelligence, groups of people, and recent searches. As was the case in iOS 10 and iOS 11, smart classification of objects and places isn't perfect. A hotel gym was marked as a restaurant for me. A cup of Starbucks coffee was categorized as performance, but it's gotten somewhat better through the years, and it's fun to tap around and explore different sections on the new page. I often get lost in remembering old events and nights out with friends without having to search for them. There are two remarkable additions to photo search and classification capabilities in iOS 12. The first one is a new built-in index of over 4 million public events that can automatically recognize photos taken at concerts, sporting events, and even festivals. Without having to do anything on my end, photos recognize pictures taken at a Justin Timberlake concert in 2014 and 2018, and actually suggested I share the most recent ones with my girlfriend who was at the concert with me. The second notable addition is about enhancements to search itself. Photos now lets you search for a location name and find photos that you took there. This means you can search for a specific place like the Louvre or a broad category like Museum. In addition, iOS 12 refines support for multiple search keywords, which was launched in iOS 10 with a new design and more powerful suggestions. Now when you're typing into the search field, search suggestions are more varied and accurate. Different kinds of search filters are visualized with different icons, and the more you type, the more refined these suggestions become. Like before, you can add multiple suggestions to a search query by tapping on them. Unfortunately, you can't type in a long query in natural language, such as photos in Rome from 2007. You need to tokenize each filter by tapping the suggestion first. Thanks to the wider scope of suggestions and events in iOS 12, multi-keyword searches are more powerful than iOS 10 and helps you find exactly what you're looking for. Plus, these searches are collected at the bottom of the search tab so you can easily reopen them later. Mine include Beach, Dog, 2017, Portrait, and Louvre Museum, 2014, Painting. 
given that all the necessary filters are already here, I wish I could create permanent smart albums for these. Extras. There are some additional changes in the Photos app worth highlighting. Share links to individual photos. There is a new copy link button in the share sheet that you can use when viewing an individual photo to share it publicly with other people using iCloud. This is a convenient way to quickly grab a link to a photo and put it in the clipboard. Technically, the same can be accomplished in files by sharing a document and tapping the copy link button. However, the process is more streamlined in photos, and I'd like to see the same approach extend to all other iCloud-based apps. Better camera import. If you import pictures taken on a DSLR camera, you'll now find a new large preview mode to scroll through your photos, as well as new labels for photos that have been imported. You can now choose where to import photos by selecting an existing album or creating a new one, and you can edit raw photos on devices with an A9 chip or higher. Once you start importing pictures, they are transferred in the background so you can exit the Photos app and do something else. I've never used this feature myself, but I'm glad that Apple is catering to pro users of improvements for their photography workflows. Updated Albums View The Albums page has also been reorganized in iOS 12. It now features a gallery of your albums, shared albums, people and places, and a list of media types at the bottom. Everything's a bit easier to find and less confusing. After prioritizing performance and high-efficiency file formats in iOS 11, Apple has returned to shipping consumer features in the Photos app. While none of the new functionalities constitute a major upgrade to the app, together they make for a good iterative update and refine the vision laid out in 2016. Superior photo classification and stronger search capabilities are my favorite changes to the app in iOS 12. If Apple has a complete overhaul of photos in store for next year, I hope its sharing features become smarter too. Music. Last year's Apple Music updates built on top of the changes introduced in iOS 10 with new social features, Music Kit, and the delayed AirPlay 2 framework. This year, likely content with the subscriber growth rate, Apple is keeping nearly everything untouched. The only notable new feature in the music app for iOS 12 is support for lyrics search. If you remember a song by some of its lyrics, but you can't recall the title or artist, you can type the lyrics you do remember in the search field and Apple Music will find songs that contain matching lyrics. As someone who constantly runs into this problem, this small feature has been a game changer for how I find music. Now if I'm shopping and I hear a song I like through the store's speakers, I can open music, type the words I heard, and instantly add a song to my discovered playlist. No need to open Safari and Google those lyrics anymore. I'm curious to see if Apple will ever ship another drastic redesign of Apple Music, or if like Spotify, they'll keep this core design for several years and work on other discovery and sharing features. This year, iOS 12 brings neither a new design nor major additions to the listening experience, perhaps in 2019. Podcasts. Similarly to music, Apple is only iterating on the successful relaunch of podcasts in iOS 11 with two minor, though convenient, new options. The duration of skip buttons can now be customized. In settings, podcast, skip buttons, you'll find two submenus for forward and back that lets you choose among five different options starting from 10 seconds up to a minute. The duration you pick here will be reflected in the podcast app in Control Center, as well as the now playing app on Apple Watch. The second feature deserves a proper finally. Podcast for iOS 12 supports MP3 chapters, allowing you to check out which chapter of an episode you're currently listening to, as well as skip them. 
While the podcast app supported AAC chapters before, Apple never rolled out integration for the more widely adopted MP3 chapter standard. MP3 chapters have been popularized by clients such as Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Castro. They're an effective solution for podcast creators to embed a topical structure within their episodes, thus helping listeners easily rewind to a specific section or jump ahead to a different one. In the updated podcast app, chapters for the current episode are listed at the bottom of the now playing screen underneath episode notes. Chapter titles are timestamped, and the app highlights the current chapter with an animated icon on the right side. To navigate between chapters, you can tap on the titles in the list. Alternatively, whether you're using AirPods or listening through a device's speakers, you can ask Siri to skip to the previous or next chapter, and the assistant will switch playback position accordingly. In another nice touch, Podcast supports custom artwork for individual chapters, which you can test in shows such as Connected and Cortex on Relay FM. I've been using Apple's podcast app every day since the HomePod came out because of its native Siri and later AirPlay 2 integrations, but I miss the ability to view and skip chapters. I've been positively surprised by the addition of MP3 chapters in iOS 12. On one hand, Apple Podcasts always had an advantage over third-party podcast clients thanks to its Siri integrations and close ties with the iTunes Store. On the other hand, though, historically, podcasts has always been behind the innovation pace of apps like Overcast and Castro. With iOS 12, Podcast is now a more compelling package, both for casual listeners and podcast aficionados alike. The app looks and feels great on iOS. It syncs with iCloud and is supported everywhere, including the HomePod and Apple Watch. Show notes display rich text and tappable links. And now you can navigate MP3 chapters and view custom artwork in the now playing screen. This is in addition to all of the work Apple put into episodic and serialized podcast support last year. If you haven't used Apple's podcast app in a while, there's a chance you'll also be surprised by the solid product that it's grown into. There are still a few features I'd like to see, such as public profiles, audio effects, and timestamped shareable links, but Apple is on the right path with the app. Apple News Apple News isn't expanding to new markets in iOS 12 and continues to be a US-centric service. Besides being one of the four pioneer apps selected for the marzipan treatment in macOS Mojave, News is being simplified in iOS 12 with a focus on easier navigation. The For You tab has been renamed Today. The following Search and Save tabs have been unified under a Channels tab that integrates everything into a single screen. In Channels, you'll be able to search, see the channels and topics you're following, view series suggestions, which unlike last year I found to be more accurate this time around, personalize the app with new sources of content, and manage notifications alongside blocked channels and topics. You can also view your history here as well as your saved stories. Surprisingly, News' saved feature and Safari's reading list are still two separate functionalities in iOS 12. It appears the decision to bring various features together under the Channels tab was motivated by the need to present a sidebar in the iPad and Mac versions of the app. On iPad, you can now always focus on navigation and stories without switching between tabs because all your channels, topics, and saved items are available in a column view on the left side. On the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, the sidebar is always shown in landscape mode, which means you can read a story and scroll through your channels at the same time. As a casual user of Apple News, I find the new design simpler to use. The channels view prompted me to trim down the list of topics and publications I started following over the years, and I like that I can easily switch between individual websites and general topics from the same list. Apple News continues to be a nice app with some solid curation happening in the spotlight section and useful system integrations. Nevertheless, the app is hindered by its lack of international availability and a global editorial team. 
I have a feeling that Apple's plans for news have changed since its debut. It'll be interesting to see what happens to news next year. Voice memos. I never thought I'd be writing about impressive updates to the voice memos app in my iOS reviews. Yet here we are. With iOS 12, Apple has rebuilt one of its oldest pre-installed apps with a new design, iCloud Sync for cross-platform support, and an iPad version with new editing tools as well. On iPhone, Voice Memos now features another instance of bottom-oriented design with a dark audio recording panel that expands up as you hit the record button to show you an animated waveform and elapsed recording time. You can swipe on the pulling indicator to further expand the panel into a bigger card that lets you pause a recording, play it back, and even trim a portion of it or rewind and replace a segment with a new recording. If you lock your iPhone while the app is recording, this is the same UI you'll get on the lock screen. My favorite detail of this screen is the subtle transition of the stop button into a large resume button when you expand the panel. On iPad, Apple decided voice memos should look like reminders, but without a realistic paper texture to go with it. The recording and editing UI are contained in a large panel that occupies three quarters of the screen, with a sidebar on the left that picks up the color of the system wallpaper like reminders does. All your recordings now sync with iCloud across iOS and macOS too. I've never been a heavy user of voice memos, but I appreciate the company's efforts to make system apps available everywhere, with an interface tailored to each device and a consistent feature set. I'm just surprised that Apple didn't implement automated transcription of audio to text, which is a native iOS API, like the excellent Just Press Record app did. Overall, though, if you record in voice memos on a regular basis, you should be pleased with this update. Stocks. I thought I'd seen it all with an updated voice memos in iOS 12. Imagine my surprise when I realized that Apple updated, of all apps, Stocks, with a brand new UI, an iPad version, and native Apple News integration. Now let me preface this by saying that I don't own any stocks, I don't understand the world of finance, and the best idea of Wall Street I have is the Leo movie. But even I can recognize that this is a remarkable update. The entire app has been redesigned to show you color-coded spark lines for the performance of each stock throughout the day. When you tap on a ticker, you're presented with a new interactive chart that shows you performance for day, week, month, or multi-month periods. You can then tap with one finger to see the price at a specific date or time, or tap with two fingers to view price changes over time. Key details such as after-hours price, trading volume, and earnings per share are also included in this screen. On iPad, the app employs a light appearance and a sidebar to let you view different symbols. Viewing charts and interacting with them on the big screen is, unsurprisingly, more effective than on an iPhone. What I find interesting about stocks for iOS 12 is the native integration with Apple News. Based on the companies in your watch list, stocks will now present you with a list of curated articles extracted from the business news section of Apple News. These aren't just headlines or links that take you back to the news app. There are actual Apple News stories that you can tap and read inside the Stocks app with a special Apple News mode. Business stories are neatly organized in top stories and sections for individual companies, which have real-time prices displayed next to their title. In addition to being available in the dedicated section, Apple News articles are also displayed underneath charts for an individual company. Using Apple News as a content provider for Stocks is fascinating, as it could be applied to a variety of other Apple services in the future. Imagine, for instance, if Music News became part of the Music app, or if you could read interviews and album reviews on an artist page. 
Or consider Apple's upcoming TV service. Wouldn't it be great if Apple News' entertainment stories could be part of the TV app too? As Apple increasingly turns into a media company with a unique approach to integration of services and apps, I could definitely see further expansions of Apple News down the road. If you're interested in stocks and market trends, the stocks update in iOS 12 is a pretty remarkable one. If, like me, you uninstalled stocks years ago when Apple made it possible to do so, you should probably give it another look, if only for its Apple News integration. Chapter 8. Everything Else As is always the case with a new version of iOS, there are dozens of other features and smaller details to be discovered in the nooks and crannies of the operating system. Here are some of the other notable additions in iOS 12. ARKit 2 Apple continues to bet heavily on augmented reality. A year after its public debut, the company's AR framework has graduated to version 2 in iOS 12 with some noteworthy technical improvements. ARKit now understands where an object is located and how the user's device is oriented relative to that object, which results in better performance and rendering of information laid on top of the physical object. 3D objects visualized in augmented reality can now reflect real-world scenes inside of the camera view. This is a fascinating technology that, among other things, leverages machine learning to infer lighting conditions when creating a reflection on a virtual object. Face tracking is also faster and more accurate than last year. It now understands where the user is looking thanks to gaze tracking, which opens some amazing possibilities for accessibility and detects when users are sticking out their tongues. Superior performance and rendering aside, the biggest changes to ARKit for consumers in 2018 come in the form of shared AR experiences where multiple users can participate and cooperate at the same time. In iOS 12, developers can create shared ARKit apps where you and people around you can see your own perspective on the same things as they happen. An obvious application for this will be multiplayer games where there is one shared augmented reality for everyone but it's interesting to consider how museums and other organizations may also want to take advantage of this. Also, ARKit experiences in iOS 12 can persist across time and locations, so the user can return to a previously assembled AR environment whenever they like. Possible implementations for persistent ARKit scenes might involve visualizing new furniture for your apartment so you don't have to start over every time, or tracking how a landmark is changing. Moreover, Apple is launching a new open file format called USDZ that allows developers to package 3D objects that can be embedded in other apps then previewed by the user on screen or in AR. USDZ previews are supported across the entire ecosystem of Apple apps like Mail, Messages, and Safari, thanks to a special Quick Look mode. As we've seen before, USDZ is going to be used extensively by e-commerce companies to let customers preview virtual objects in the real world, for example. Even though we haven't seen ARKit's killer app yet, Apple is only increasing their commitment to this developer framework. There's almost a sense that Apple needs to grow ARKit's accuracy and performance rapidly to prepare for whatever AR-focused project may be coming over the next few years. Until that happens, it'll be fun to continue experimenting with ARKit apps and games created by third-party developers on iOS. Battery Usage Following the battery and performance kerfuffle of late 2017, Apple has enhanced the battery screen of iOS 12 with detailed Android-like charts about battery level and app usage. 
Available for all iOS devices and modeled after screen time, the new battery charts in iOS 12 display two main trends for the last 24 hours or 10 days. Battery level, visualized in green, and app activity with the screen on and screen off, which are dark blue and light blue respectively. The two charts are useful to correlate battery level with increased app usage in specific moments of the day. For instance, I can see that jumping back and forth between Safari and Tweetbot a lot when I'm on 4G drains the battery much faster than, say, writing articles in drafts. I knew this information before, but seeing it on charts puts it in perspective. You can tap on a chart to focus on individual data points like hours of the day or days of the week and view how app activity correlates to the selected time period. Charts show you when a device was charging, when its battery indicator turned red, and even when it reached its lowest battery level during the day. As with previous versions of iOS, you can check out battery usage by app as a percentage or view their activity details. If you have an old iOS device and want to maximize its battery life as much as possible, I bet you're going to visit this screen a lot. Face ID. In addition to coming to the new iPad Pros and supporting multiple face orientations, Face ID in iOS 12 has been improved with an easier unlocking system and the ability to create an alternate appearance. If Face ID fails when you try to unlock your device, the lock screen now lets you swipe up to instantly retry another Face ID scan. This is a more elegant solution than the confusing debut in iOS 11 last year. Also, while Face ID can continuously learn how you look over time, and I've been pretty happy with its performance to be honest, you can now set up a second face in settings as an alternate appearance. I know of some people who have been using this feature to let their spouse unlock a device using their face, but I believe it's more designed for letting you set up an appearance that differs from your main one. For instance, if you need to wear protective headwear at work or other face accessories that would trick Face ID otherwise. I look forward to testing Face ID's performance and support for multiple orientations on the new iPad Pros. Easier to access trackpad mode. Previously available only on 3D touch enabled phones or with a two finger swipe on the iPad's keyboard, trackpad mode can be activated in a much easier way in iOS 12. Just tap and hold on the spacebar until the keyboard becomes a trackpad. This mode, seemingly inspired by Gboard and other custom keyboards of a similar implementation, gives owners of iPhones without 3D Touch a way to more precisely control the cursor in text fields. This is a nice way to toggle trackpad mode if you're using an iPhone 5S, SE, or 6. It also supports text selection if you tap on the screen while dragging the cursor with another finger. Personalized App Store in iOS 12, Apple is using a variety of data points to provide you with a personalized App Store experience. In practice, this means that the Today page, the protagonist of the App Store's reboot in iOS 11, is going to be slightly different for every user in the future. According to Apple, bigger stories such as App of the Day and Timely Developer Profiles will be available for everyone at the same time, while app collections, smaller stories, and other content may be tailored to each user based on their previous purchases, search history, in-app purchases, and more. I've noticed more productivity-oriented app collections, which led to more downloads in my experience with the Today tab in iOS 12, so I guess the system must be working. I'll be curious to monitor the impact of personalization on developers at scale. Built-in thesaurus. If you write long-form content on an iPad, or if you want to always make a great impression with your sent-from-iPhone emails, iOS 12 has just the feature for you, a built-in thesaurus that lives alongside the system dictionary. Long available on the Mac, the Oxford American Writer's Thesaurus can now be enabled in Settings, General, Dictionary. Once activated, the Thesaurus will provide you with synonyms and alternatives to the currently selected word from the lookup menu. 
As someone who always keeps Safari and Slideover to search for synonyms when writing, I'm very happy about this addition, which I used a lot this summer. Improved markup. For the past couple of years, iOS has offered a native markup mode to annotate images and PDF documents. Initially rolled out for notes and mail, this feature eventually expanded to Quick Look for document previews as well as screenshots. In iOS 12, Apple is making markup mode more powerful by adding new drawing options and a color picker with 120 color choices. When editing an image in markup mode, you can now tap on a selected drawing tool like the pen, highlighter, or pencil to open a contextual menu that lets you adjust line thickness and opacity. And while iOS still offers a limited default color palette, you can now choose any other color you want from a picker that features a 12 by 10 grid of colors in various shades. These additions haven't made me stop using a notable to edit screenshots of my articles yet, but I'm using the native markup mode a lot more for basic image edits. And more. Finally, here's a grab bag of everything else worth noting about iOS 12. Apps are easier to quit on the iPhone 10. To force quit an app on an iPhone 10 running iOS 12, you need to just swipe up on its card in the multitasking switcher instead of long tapping it and pressing a close button. It seems like Apple has given up on the idea of making it harder for people to quit apps, even though they don't need to, no matter how much explanation and details they're given. Some people like to believe that closing apps is better for them, so so be it. No more accidental screenshots. iOS 12 prevents screenshot capture when you're waking up a device if you accidentally press both the lock and volume up buttons at the same time. As someone who took dozens of these screenshots due to the vertical placement of said buttons, I'm glad this has been fixed. SMS and call spam reporting. Following call and SMS blocking introduced in iOS 10 and iOS 11 respectively, iOS 12 introduces a new extension point for SMS and call spam reporting. These new extensions, which like the previous ones, have to be manually enabled in settings, let you report missed calls or received messages as an unwanted communication or spam. To do this, you can swipe left on a call in the phone app's recent lists and tap report, or select one or multiple messages in a conversation and report them. After reporting a contact to spam, the extension can block it and add it to your device's main list of blocked contacts. I look forward to testing these extensions as most of the automatic spam call identification apps I tried didn't have an accurate Italian spammer database. Being able to quickly select calls and messages, report them, and block them seems like a useful compromise. An AirPods Live Listen One of the best new accessibility features of iOS 12 is the new control center button that lets you use the iPhone as a directional microphone to assist with hearing through your AirPods. Such a simple and clever idea. Once enabled, you can put your iPhone next to a person speaking or a television and use the AirPods as an amplification tool for what the iPhone is picking up. Thanks to the W1 chip inside AirPods, you can be at a considerable distance from the iPhone, for example, if you're sitting in an audience, and audio won't cut out. This is one of my favorite examples of Apple's appreciation for inclusive technology. Chapter 9, Conclusion For the past few years, new versions of iOS have always presented themselves as bold steps reaching for a greater vision. The productivity-focused iOS 9, the iMessage relaunch and first hints of a refreshed design language in iOS 10, and the second coming of iPad and multi-touch in iOS 11. By contrast, iOS 12 feels like a rare moment of introspection, a transitional release that looks inward to improve what already exists rather than break new ground. As I've explored in this review, there are new features in iOS 12. However, they don't hold the same mass appeal of an entirely reimagined iPad multitasking system, a sweeping App Store redesign, or a brand new Apple Music. 
It's also quite telling that the apps Apple did update with all new designs or major functionalities aren't high-profile ones, such as reminders, files, or mail, but utilities like voice memos and stocks or parts of core apps, such as Safari's keychain and photo sharing. The new Books app is the only and welcome exception. Most people will update to iOS 12 and notice considerable speed improvements or a handful of minor course corrections. Years from now, they'll probably remember it as the update that brought group notifications and Memoji. Not much has changed, but it's faster, and notifications are grouped. Should be a strong enough argument to convince your friends and family to upgrade. The approach isn't unique to iOS. Apple appears to be mostly focusing on quality of life improvements across all of its software platforms in 2018. It's iOS 12, though, that fully owns it with features designed to improve our relationships with iPhones and iPads. Do not disturb, rework notifications, and screen time are Apple's response to the tech industry's concerns with smartphone overuse and app addiction. The three features are tackling the same problem from different perspectives, and arguably they succeed. New iPad gestures are more consistent with the iPhone X, resulting in a smoother multitasking experience. Sharing photos of other people is easier than ever, and of course, the system's performance is vastly improved, particularly on older devices, and there's a newfound sense of responsiveness and general design polish throughout the operating system. The work Apple put into improving iOS 12's performance and stability is important. Like most software optimizations, though, such major undertakings often go uncelebrated, as their under-the-hood nature takes the back seat compared to shiny new apps and consumer features. Nowadays, great performance and battery life are taken for granted on Apple devices, and I should add, rightfully so, people expect their expensive mobile computers to be as fast, reliable, and durable as possible. Once the initial surprise of a noticeably faster and more efficient device subsides, iOS 12 will likely be regarded as a healthy, more-of-the-same package, a solid release that largely plays it safe without taking any major risks. Perhaps for the first time in years, the latest version of iOS is not a polarizing update. There's nothing wrong with this strategy. In fact, I think it's exactly what iOS needed before the next revolution occurs. In this scenario, it's also possible that iOS 12's defining developer feature, Siri Shortcuts, and its associated power user utility, the Shortcuts app, will be initially overlooked and fail to be appreciated for the milestones they are. Personally, I believe these are the two features with the most untapped potential for the future. If Apple's bet is successful in the long run, iOS 12 will eventually be remembered as the debut of the all-encompassing Shortcuts initiative. With Siri Shortcuts, Apple is pushing ahead the union of apps and Siri. The end goal is twofold. To let users fully control and personalize their Siri experience, and to build a predictive system that learns from their habits, is able to support any app, and extends Siri with integrations beyond the confines of specific app domains. In an effort to accelerate developer adoption, the framework rides on the coattails of existing APIs and mostly consists of one-way triggers without a proper data flow. Despite the somewhat limited scope, however, it has already reshaped my daily interactions with iOS devices. Several tasks that I used to perform by opening apps, from checking the weather to reading a note or viewing my tasks, can now be completed in Siri without giving up on rich responses and interfaces. More often than not, I don't even need to remember to launch these actions as iOS 12 suggests them to me. The ability to invoke the same shortcut on multiple Apple devices from iPhone and iPad to HomePod and Apple Watch hints at a pervasive system that blurs the line between where an app ends and where Siri begins. They may be dismissed by some as just another extension type today, but in reality shortcuts are a turning point for Siri as an intelligence layer spread across the Apple ecosystem.
I'm convinced they are an expression of Apple's long-term play for Siri and third-party integrations. Even without being pre-installed on iOS 12, the Shortcuts app embodies all of these principles. Shortcuts isn't a mere adaptation of workflow. It uses the app's existing feature set as a catalyst for a fresh, more powerful take on automation that's even more closely tied to iOS. Just like its predecessor, Shortcuts can be used to craft complex workflows to speed up tedious tasks, launch multiple apps, or even interact with web APIs. But Shortcuts is also the app that now lets anyone create multi-action HomeKit routines with drag and drop. It's how you can quickly adjust system settings such as Do Not Disturb or Brightness, and it's a utility that enables you to run app actions inside widgets and record personalized Siri commands that run everywhere, including your watch, HomePod, or car. When he first demoed Automator at WWDC in 2004, Apple's then automation manager, Sal Segoyan, aptly summed it up with its intuitive approach as everybody can do this. Over 14 years later, the Shortcuts app delivers on that promise again and expands it. With Shortcuts, everybody can create something useful to save time anywhere they are. Shortcuts isn't just an automation app to use at your desk. It's an automation lifestyle. I've been reviewing Apple's apps and iOS releases for almost a decade now. I believe Shortcuts is the most beautiful, creative piece of software that the company has ever shipped. Shortcuts is a new kind of command line for iOS, a tool to visually script any app and feature of the operating system. But it's also something else entirely. More than workflow before it, Shortcuts is a productivity playground in between the operating system and its apps, a place for users to create their own enhancements to iOS, a lab where every iOS user is free to experiment, chain apps together, remix actions, and tie everything back to Siri. Ultimately, the Shortcuts app is what automation should stand for, empowering people to think, build tools to solve problems, and control a computer however they want, whenever they want. Maybe that's what a modern bicycle for the mind should be. Maybe that's where iOS 12's greater vision is.